How's your week? <laughs> Anything going on? On one level, yes, a whole lot. And on another level, absolutely nothing. So, you know, you? <laughs> absolutely nothing. It's the, I can't even, there's nothing on my mind. Boy, it uh, just seems like every day is the same as the last. Mm-hmm. Holy we, uh, hell. Yeah, we were looking forward to my daughter coming home for spring break next week. And instead, my daughter is now home to do her online finals. And oh. then she'll be here for a month, at least. So, yeah, she's happy. She's so thrilled. Nothing like having your freshman year uh, t- like switched off and kicked back to your parents. I don't like, know. Well, what do you... <sighs> All right, you're a college student. What's... All of this is bad, and and let's just let me just say this as a preamble that number one yeah. we are we are recording on Monday, March sixteenth <laughs> at at six thirty yeah. p.m. Eastern time, three Pacific, and who the hell knows what the world will be like by the time this podcast gets out the door? But who knows what it'll be like by the time we finish recording? recording right? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, good point. Very good point. I honestly thought the first person who I heard say that was there's a, a great restaurant guy here in Philly, uh, uh, Mark Vetri, and is is he has a couple of restaurants now, but is uh, or no, not Vetri. It was uh, well, Vetri was quoted too, but there's a couple of restaurant guys, but one of them was I think it might have been Vetri was quoted. Everybody was saying everything's changing day by day, and he goes, "No, it's changing hour by hour." Yeah. <laughs> And that is uh, only for now. Who knows? Minute by minute. Um, mm. Anyway, let me just say as a preamble that uh, this coronavirus thing and it is could not be more serious. It is it hitting everybody. I don't. I can't imagine. I I I guess if you're a listener in in South America, somewhere in the, you know, uh, there's some places where it seems like it hasn't hit yet. But you know, it's as we all know from Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, it's already hit Australia. Very hard to believe that there's anybody who's going to listen to this episode who's not affected, hasn't had their life uh, affected in some way. And and I think we all agree we're at the beginning of it. I don't mean to make light of it. I think it's very serious. I think my coverage of Daring Fireball is very serious. But I also know that people want to listen to podcasts and they want to get their mind off this. And if we joke around yeah. in some ways, it's in no way to be taken as as treating this whole thing lightly. No, we're all in the same boat. I mean, more so than perhaps at any other point in our lives, right? Like yeah. the whole world is pretty much in exactly the same situation here. Yeah. At some point back, I believe, I believe it was, yeah, cause I was surly back then. I believe it was back when I was doing the show with Dan Benjamin. I, I had, uh, uh, sarcastically or it's not even sarcasm, but just smart acidly claimed that I never washed my hands. Um, uh, in the same way that I claimed that I'd had my driver's license revoked at, at some point. Yeah. Uh, well, you and, know, Dan's a germaphobe, so yeah, th- you exactly. know, just say that and he right. would start itching, right. I think. Right, <laughs> that was exactly the reason. And and then a friend of the show, Daniel Jalkett, made a, a song about, <laughs> about me <laughs> quoting my, my line. I should actually see if I can dig that up. Maybe we'll have a theme song for this episode. Maybe, maybe everybody listening to me say this right now will have already heard it. Maybe mm. if we find it, we'll stick it at the beginning of the show, but... Uh, uh, believe it or not, it was not true at the time, and uh, it is, as I feel my pristine hands right now, it is mm-hmm. It is definitely not true now. Um, we are washing hands. We are taking this seriously. We are bunkered yeah. in. Yep. Uh, yeah, so but it's college student, freshman year. Wow, what a bummer. I, I, right? Just off the top of my head, though, if you're a college student, 
the two seminal years are, of course, freshman year and senior year. You know, the middle years kind of blur together, which is worse to have interrupted. I would think maybe senior year. Right? I, I would think so. I would think so. I mean, the di- I, one of the differences is presumably you're off campus your senior year. Like, like Jamie's in the dorm right now, yeah. and like, talk about. Right. Really intensely close group of people. Like that's probably not what you want is no. having all, all those hundreds of college students in close proximity. Right. And but senior year, you're off campus. I mean, maybe you even stay in your apartment or whatever. But yeah, you're losing your end of your college life. Right. And by the time things get back to normal, if you know whatever that normal is, um, you're out of there, presumably. And you may not even get a graduation ceremony, right? Like, ugh, I, I, I think almost certainly not, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. It's... I mean, unless they do a, like a makeup... Gra- and it's never going to be the same, right? Although it, it's funny, um, because we always have to talk about sports at least a little bit to offend right. people. Um, one thing I read is that the NCAA is actually thinking of restoring some eligibility to some athletes, which right. is an interesting idea that maybe some of the spring athletes, you know, you get your four years and then you're right. done and you can't compete. It's possible that some athletes who thought this was their last year are now going to be granted another year and they can come back and compete um, next year again, which would be, I think that that is a thing that they absolutely should do because um, for some of these people, like, this is... You know they they've lost their chance and they're not going to get it back, but maybe they'll get um you know another another year to do some of this stuff. But because I I've been thinking about that for for Jamie about like I mean I, I assume she's going to keep taking her courses in the spring even if they end up being all online. You could just opt out, but right. then you're a quarter behind of everybody right. else, and who knows the the online courses might be easier. All right, I don't know. We don't, who knows, but um, it's just disruptive. And yeah, if you're your senior year and you're rolling through and you're this is your last hurrah, and then there's no hurrah, like that's it. Schools I feel bad for them. K through twelve schools are canceled. Uh, yeah, I believe two weeks here in or Pennsylvania, not even Philadelphia, just no, statewide. My sons are are also our sons are the same age. My, yeah. it, it's it's two weeks, but we look at it and we're like, guys, there's. I mean, it's going to be a month at least, and probably more than that, and it might even be the rest of the school year. Like, but they're they're just they're not going to commit to that yet. But it, well, it's who knows. So so my son Jonas came home. Friday, and I thought he had a really unique perspective on it. I mean, it was obviously a major topic of conversation uh, with his, you know, uh, at the whole school. And in fact, so he they they announced it on Thursday, but they said, but we're still going to have school Friday. But it was a totally different schedule. I don't know. I mean, I was it, it. What they did is they rejiggered the schedule so that every kid would have every class on Friday. Right. Whether it was, you know, usually only on Tuesdays or whatever, so that every teacher could get some time with the kids to say, here's our plan going forward for what we're going to do with remote education. It, it seemed like a good idea. We're announcing this a day early. Everybody come in. We're going to have a one day with like 30 minute classes with each teacher, blah, blah, blah. But they obviously had a lot of time to talk about it. And Jonas came home and said him amongst him and his pals and, um, his Latin teacher, who seems I, I've met with uh, at one of the parent-teacher things, um, and did seem like a very clever fellow, um, are of the opinion that they're they are not coming back. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting perspective because it seemed it wasn't like like a woohoo we're done with school for the year. It I thought it was. Just talking to him about why they thought it, it was very much informed by 
their lack of preconceptions, you know, that they're only, you know, 15, 16 years old, whereas I'm, you know, 47. And the way the world works is when something goes wrong at school, they get the kids back in school as soon as possible. You know, you know, there's big snowfall and the, the roof collapses, you know, well, they fix the roof and 10 days later, the kids are back in school or, or there's a fire or something, you know, well, we're going to, you know, nobody comes to school for a week because, you know, we got to f- fix this water damage from the fire. Then you come back to school. Whereas without the preconception of this doesn't happen, that schools close in mid-March and the school year is just over, when you look at what's likely ahead, it does seem likely. Like the gist was they, you know, and they were like at a whiteboard and they were like, you know, the the peak is obviously going to come, peak infections is obviously going to come in mid-April to end of April. And if that's the peak, how, you know, isn't it, it's not going to fall off a cliff. It's going to taper off. Like right. how, you know, and if wherever we are on the curve, however, you know, however close Putting to Putting hundreds of, of teenagers together and right. having 30 in a room and all of that, it's just like that's the last thing you want to be doing. Right. It just seems like really wishful thinking to announce mm-hmm. this as, as a two-weeks thing. I thought it was really telling last night when the Vegas... It's very strange to me. I predicted last night that the Caesars ones would follow. So the win and Encore in Las Vegas, um, which are just two, but they're big and, right. and, and you know, top tier, announced that they were going to shut down tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, and the MGM and the Bella- ones. All the Bellagio ones, right? Yep. All the Bellagio, MGM group, the Bellagio MGM, ones, right. followed about an hour later. And then all the other ones, every other property on the strip that you've ever heard of is in the Caesars Palace group. And I just assumed that they would follow. And I, I was like rechecking this afternoon and apparently not, but they're yet they're laying off employees. <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to, I don't know how long they think they can ride this out, but it seems like a bad idea to me. Yeah. You just threw throughout this, the, you know, and I keep coming back to like the stages of grief that there's the, there's kind of denial <laughs> and bargaining and then right. there's finally acceptance. And, and I, I've seen that here that when you don't have a plan written down, that is here is our yep. global pandemic plan, which nobody really has. I mean, there are right. some, almost nobody has, you end up in this sort of like, well, maybe we can ride it out. And then you can see the steps like, and then the next one is, well, maybe we'll change a little bit. And then yeah. they realize, well, we're going to have to change for a little while. And then finally you get to the point where, it, where, where you realize, no, we need to shut everything down and we just need to all sit here for a couple of months. Right. And, and, but it takes time because like, I mean, how, how disruptive is it to say we're not going to do the NCAA basketball tournament? Uh, uh, how, they, they were like, we'll play it in front of empty crowds. And right. then finally, the next, literally the next yeah, day, they're like, no, we're not going to play it. Right. Next day. <laughs> well, and then I read, I was reading the Las Vegas Review Journal this morning and they had these amazing photos and they're like, okay, yes, it's eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning on a Monday and the strip is never busy at nine in the morning on a Monday. But it's not like this. And it yeah. is like, you know, it, it, it's like scenes that ILM would have to put together, you know, mm-hmm. to see the, no cars on the Vegas Strip. It, it's just insane. And, but then the reporter was like, you know, then, but, you know, Har- so Harris is one that's still in the Caesars group. And they were like, uh, Harris was mostly empty except for six players, uh, crowded around a craps table. <laughs> and I'm like, look, I like to play craps. I like to gamble. But in addition to the fact, number one, all of the table games involve chips going back and forth, right? <laughs> 
like I put out a chip, the dealer takes the chip, you get paid and you're getting chips. You know, there's a yeah. lot of touching of chips there. But Craps, yeah. Craps is literally passing dice around. And everybody gets a turn to throw them. Like, oh my God. I had to go, I had to go to CVS today and pick something up. And, uh, even with Apple Pay. And we'll get, we can get to this later, but Apple Pay is pretty cool in a, in a, hey, watch what you touch situation, right? Like it's always seemed kind of cool that there's no touching involved, but now it seems magic. Uh, but at, because it, it was a prescription pickup, I had to sign for it. And guess what I had to sign with? That well, elect- one of those, one of those plastic pens attached to the thing. Uh, and I felt like I, I almost turned into Larry David. I was just like, uh-huh. ah, <laughs> I, I signed, I signed. And then I just kept my right hand up. I actually had to use my left hand to put my phone back in my right pocket. And I just kept my, and of all the stores, of all the stores in Philadelphia, which is the one store that doesn't have free hand sanitizer at the entrance? CVS. How is that possible that a pharmacy does not have free hand sanitizer? But I knew that there's a little grocery, a great little uh, family-owned grocery store right around the corner, DeBruno Brothers, which is doing a fantastic job in all of this. Absolutely fantastic job. I knew it. So I just, I'm like walking around with my right hand up in the air. Like going a block and a half yep. to get, and I, I like went over there after using that pen, hand sanitized before I hand sanitized. <laughs> I did like a pre hand hand sanitizer watch because <laughs> I feel like that pen. I mean, I was like, how how are you making people use this pen? This is. <laughs> I went to um, Whole Foods a couple of days ago, and I like brought my own bag, put all the stuff in the bag, dumped it out at the cashier contactless you know apple pay walked out i I don't need the receipt right (laughs) right and and i managed to do it and and i do wonder in the long run you know we're gonna get some interesting new cultural practices out of this that that where things people are going to be like why don't we reduce the amount of touching that happens (laughs) like maybe that's a good idea i i think contactless payments may be one of those places where everybody's like why did we not just completely lean into this i don't want to touch anything i think we're all going to get a little more um conscious about all of this stuff now yeah. having lived through it yeah there's and there have been a couple of places um that i've seen smaller places here in philly not like i'm out much but i have seen places and there's even some places that have the sign in a window that were saying uh uh credit cards please yeah because they don't want cash uh, right but, oh, man. but yeah i saw i was i was buying dog food today that was my one outing and uh the lady in front of me wanted to pay with cash and she's and, and it's like seven dollars and seven cents and she's like oh i think i have seven cents and she's digging <laughs> and everybody around you know in our little three yard bubbles is looking at each other like are you kidding me and she's like gets it all out and i'm looking at the at the cashier and i'm like well i hope you got a, just a vat of hand sanitizer back there buddy um yeah and then I, and then she's she's still busy like putting her money away in her in her uh I in her in her purse and i have already tapped my apple pay right. picked up the four 45 pounds of dog food and I'm walking around right. her to get out of there. Right. <laughs> Why, lady? Uh, you know what? And I think that for the most part, you know, usually, and, and the distance on Apple Pay is, is you know, pretty generous. You know, it, it, it it's one of those technologies. And again, I never really thought about it a lot until this last week. But it's it, it, the NFC distance, or I think it's NFC, right? Most of these yeah. terminals is the technology is NFC. Yeah. It is... 
it, it doesn't require you to get close enough that you're worried about touching, but you know, it's not so generous that you have to worry about it happening accidentally when you're not even that close, right? It's it seems like the distance is just right, you know, six inches, maybe three, four inches at the closest, and ping, you're done. Um, it's just as a as I mean, everybody's a germaphobe at this point. Uh, yep, or everybody should be. Uh, I can't decide whether all the germaphobes are nodding like, yeah, I told you, or if they're too busy, like, in a corner somewhere. <laughs> I me- can't, can't do it. I don't know. Meanwhile, there's six, six guys playing craps at Harris on the strip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just can't believe oh, it. Oh, man. Oh, my God. You got to laugh to keep from crying sometimes. Uh. Oh my God! Where do we start? Uh, what else is going on? How, what's going on in in your daily life? Are you guys bunkered in? Uh, you- yeah, more. So my wife works at a library full time, and they closed it over the weekend. And today was a staff day where they're supposed to come in and sort of figure out what they w- could do when they're not open to the public, and. Uh, by noon today, so again, hours pass and things change. By noon today, we had been given uh, all the Bay Area counties a shelter-in-place order, which is usually used for things like toxic gas leaks. It basically said no non-essential movement. So, you know, the, in other words, she's going to be home tomorrow. There's mm-hmm. no way that they're still going to be in the library unless the city government decides the library is an essential emergency operation, which seems unlikely. Um, and so then we'll all be you know, we'll all be in here, just locked in here. And for me, it's funny because this is where I work, like you and I, so many of our peers already work from home. So it's not as disruptive to us, but, you know, everybody else in my family has been disrupted directly by this. So that's, you know, day to day, I don't know, we're we're starting to figure it out now that, that what does it mean that, you know, Jamie's home and she's doing her finals and what, you know, what's Julian doing in terms of his um, his high school work and what is which teachers know how to use email and which teachers don't know how to use email. There's a lot of that. There's some tech savvy t- teachers and some really not savvy teachers. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's that's that's where we are. So it's it's weird. And like you said, every hour, every day, it seems like there's something something new and different and changing about it. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, I assume are you all just bunkered in too? Yeah, bunkered in with our yeah. uh, uh, 500 pounds of charcoal. So we're all set. Nice. All set Great. on that. You know, Jonas pointed out, I mean, we're, you know, uh, we are, as a, as a threesome, uh, rather naturally, su- this isn't that different than what we like to do. Like, it, it's like when we have no family, obli- other obligations, like for us, a nice weekend is often just entirely spent at home. Um, it It's not that different for us. Um and we're not on top of each other. We've got plenty of space. Uh, I do where I've worked for home most of my adult life and nonstop since, I don't know, God, at least 20 years for the most yeah, part, uh, with some very small exceptions. Um, uh, it's, you know, but it's the hour by hour differences are just crazy. Like literally this morning. So Sunday night, or Sunday, yesterday, Sunday, New York City announced that they were going to close all restaurants and bars other, you know, other than to allow for takeout and pickup um, uh, and delivery. I guess takeout and pickup are the same thing. (laughs) 
but uh, you know, delivery and takeout. And then Los Angeles followed shortly thereafter, almost prob- probably just accounting for the time difference, made that decision at the right time. The governor of Ohio, which neighbors Pennsylvania to the west, announced that the whole state was going to close all restaurants and bars for the same, you know, same policy other than takeout and delivery. And then this morning, the mayor of Philadelphia, Jim Kenney, said that uh, he still wanted, he said he encouraged, he was still encouraging people to go to restaurants and to tip generously. The staffs are hurting. We can't really afford to close all these restaurants. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it, his top priority was obviously the economic impact of closing restaurants, which again, I, and I know people who work, you know, I, I have my friend Lee owns a, a, a bar here in Philadelphia, Hopsing Laundromat. Um, I have friends in the restaurant industry. I have a, a good friend, Matt, who works up in New York in the industry and has been filling me in there. I mean, it's just devastating restaurants. It's really devastating. It's, you know, they're just not equipped for this, you know, financially to, to like pay staff. Um, I mean, literally famously, I mean, in America, at least, you know, waiters, most of the people, a lot of the people who work in restaurants don't even have a salary that could still be paid. They make all their money from tips. Uh, doesn't work if, you know, the place is half empty and, you know, there was this half measure where they were going to say, well, everybody, you can be open, but you have to be half capacity. And it's like, number one, that didn't seem like a great idea. It's not an airborne illness, right? So this is one of the things that I haven't understood about some of these responses where they're like, well, every, every if everybody's table is six feet apart, then it's okay. But it's not, you know, measles is airborne, which when you think about yeah. it, it's terrifying, right? That you could just walk by somebody, you know, back before there was a measles vaccine. Somebody had measles and you just walk by them on the sidewalk and you, you get measles. You get you the know? measles. Right. Did you see the thread? Um, so so I don't you think so. posted a link to one Don Schaffner thread, and, and this is this guy who's an yeah. uh, ex- expert on food safety. Yeah. And uh, you posted your post about hand washing, which was really great. And the idea that it does, you know, really warm water or cold water, it's the soap that matters, right. which was really good. Um, and then he he said yeah, hand sanitizer also is very effective against this kind of virus. So you should also use hand sanitizer. It's super powerful. He had a new thread today because Lex Friedman, our buddy, <laughs> I never said, heard of him. Never heard said, of him. Um, said I, basically, I'm worried about um, takeout being contaminated. Oh, like, well, that's it's like, How does this work? And Don basically says, and again, he's he's an expert, although not the only expert, and people have conflicting opinions. But he basically said it's unlikely because this is a respiratory illness, which means that people are sneezing and coughing, and then you breathe it in, and that's how you get infected. If hmm. somebody sneezed on your food while they were making it, that would be gross, and they should go home if right. they're sick. But it's going to be in your mouth, and then you swallow it, and then it's uh, got your stomach has a low pH, so it's going to inactivate the virus. Um, if it gets to your intestine, he says um, it's a respiratory vi- virus. It's not really designed to invade that way, so it probably wouldn't work. So basically, what he says is, I'm not really worried about getting the virus from food, whether it's hot or cold, doesn't really matter. It's the, because, the, as far as we know, this is about people coughing or sneezing, and then you um, either breathing that in or the the whole hand-washing thing, right. you know, touching something that's got it on it and then bringing that up and putting it on your eye or in your mouth or, or, right. or something like that. Right. So it's it's not, yeah, so the vectors matter, which is why everybody keeps saying, you know, 
<laughs> wash your hands, right. don't touch your face, because and, and keep keep your distance, and that that can do a lot to mitigate this. And and something like uh, having the restaurants convert to takeout, your your big risk there is the person who's handing you the food, and yeah. you're their biggest risk too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had to run a few errands today. I mean, it, it, it's at the point like today where, um, I. I I was sort of crossing I's and dotting T's on like, what do we really have to do if we want to get it, you know, if we get locked in here for two weeks and again, who knows, this could get worse in two weeks. We might, I might, you know, three weeks from now, I might think I might laugh at the thought that two weeks was a worst case scenario, but I don't see any practical way that I could buy, you know, I can't get, I can't buy a month of food. I mean, I guess in theory I could, but uh, you know, I'm not prepared for that. But one of the things was I needed to go to the bank. I needed to uh, move some money from the business to personal so we could pay some bills and, and you know, for the time going forward till the end of the month, et cetera. Um, I was just effusively, I, 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 you know, like I just thanked the guy at the bank. I was like, I just want to say thanks. I'm glad you're here. You know, I appreciate you. Uh, and I don't know. I I felt a little Larry Davidus. I was like, I just want you to know when I came in, I really sanitized the hell out of my hands. <laughs> He's like, thanks. <laughs> Those guys. I don't know what's going on with their hands because they are they're they're squirting a little Purell on their hands between every single customer, and it's right. like, man, that is that's that's the hard stuff. Uh yeah, here it's, you know, but it's been weird, you know, like, so our mayor said that, and that was this morning. It was a news story this morning. Our mayor said, uh, you know, keep going to bars and restaurants. We'll keep your, you know, we'll have lower seating, but tip them generously. We want to keep them open. And I'm like, this is not the right, I, it's a, your heart's in the right place in terms of their businesses, but this is the, this is not leadership. And my thought was, Maybe he's waiting for the governor of Pennsylvania to say the whole state rest, restaurants have to be shut down. And then he, as the mayor, doesn't look like the bad guy who shut restaurants down. I don't know. But it's like, you know, profiles and courage here. Uh, and then literally by yeah. like 1230, like new, just after noon, a uh, new story comes out. And in, in the Philadelphia Inquirer had the exact same photo of him. <laughs> Literally just the same photo. And it's, you know, the Philadelphia is shutting down all non-essential businesses. You know, it's pretty much grocery stores, drug stores, banks, and doctors. You know, that's it. It's it's like uh, a lot of politicians don't want to be the one to go first because yeah. they don't want to be out of step. But yep. once everybody's stepping in the same direction, it makes it a lot easier for all of them. Yeah, and I thought so too, especially for Philly, which I'm not going to say it's not a suburb of New York, but we're in New York's orbit. Uh, and having New York go first last night really would have given a lot of cover to me. I, if I were the mayor of Philadelphia, I would have I, I would have done it last night after New York did it. Even if I was on the fence, once New York went, I would have done it. Um, it just it 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 really just seems that like the worst case scenario that we're trying to avoid just is is that dire. And every single person who knows what the hell they're talking about, without exception, is saying playing for time is absolutely essential. Act, you know, both on both ends. In other words, acting as soon as we do, as soon as we can, collectively, whether we know all the facts are right or not, versus, you know, and then trying to stretch this out, the whole, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, flatten the curve. 
flatten the curve. Yeah. Right. But you've got to act this. You have to act as quick, quickly as possible. I saw a good video from some doctor in, in the UK with the UK in particular seems to be really particular as bad as the U S national response has been, boy, the UK really seems to have had their collective heads up their asses on this. Um, but there was a, you know, a, a, a world health health organization doctor in the UK who was saying that it, this is not the time to, to be worried about whether you're right or wrong. It don't be, you know, everybody's afraid. Everybody wants to be perfect and make the right decision. And nobody wants to make a mistake by enacting draconian measures. And then to find out that they weren't necessary, um, you have to, you, have, you know, the most single most important thing is to act as, as strong as you can, as quickly as you can. Um, because if you wait until you're certain that you need to, it's far too late. You know, we've right. seen that. We've seen that here in the U.S. with this situation with the testing kits. Right. Uh, my parents uh, literally are still. They they should be right now on a cruise, <laughs> but they're not. But it wasn't because of the coronavirus per se. Uh, my mom actually came down with an unrelated bug. She does not have coronavirus, but but you know became ill a few days before. And they knew, you know, the coronavirus thing was already floating about, and they took it as an opportunity to, hey, let's, uh, you know what, we didn't feel good about this anyway, let's cancel, uh, and canceled. And uh, I can only imagine that that's no fun at all right now. I would, I would imagine, I, I can't even imagine the claustrophobia of being on a cruise ship right now, even if you're on a cruise ship that you know, as seemingly most of the ones that are still at sea. I mean, I know all of the major cruise lines have stopped new voyages, but this was like a 10-day cruise or something they were supposed to be on because they were retired and can go on very long cruises. Uh, I would imagine the ones that are at sea, even with no reported cases, it must feel like you're on this giant floating prison. I uh, Yeah. Or worse than a prison. I don't know. You know, I don't know. A Petri dish, giant floating Petri dish yeah. with small beds and <laughs> i mean i've done some cruises it sort of feels like a floating prison already <laughs> uh, yeah i i have too and i feel the same way you definitely i feel a little cooped up uh i uh it, it, one thing i can think of and i'm playing it back in my mind is uh and i was you know talking to my parents before they made that decision and i didn't at the time i didn't tell them hey definitely don't go because it, it it's Changed so fast. It seems ridiculous in hindsight, but it, you know, like nine days ago, it didn't seem out of the question to go. Um, but the thing that I thought about from my times on a cruise ship is that it is impossible to get and do anything without touching things. You know, you're, you're always opening doors. There's all, doors everywhere, right? Like to get inside, to get outside, to go here, to go there. Like, it, it 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 just seems like a nightmare to me, and everything is you know, you know hallways are so narrow. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, my heart's out to everybody who's on stuck on a cruise ship. Uh, otherwise, you know, I don't know what to say. It's it's bizarre. I, I you know, but then you know there are parts of life that seem normal. You know, like I said. The De Bruno Brothers, uh, you know, food market here in downtown Philadelphia has been mostly normal. That 
you know, I'm not going every day. I'm trying to, you know, get as much as I can and, and bring it home. And, uh, but you know, it's not crazy. Uh, it, it, you know, and if you weren't really closely paying attention, you wouldn't really notice, you know, that every single employee, not just the ones at the deli are wearing plastic gloves. Um, their, their shelves are well stocked with pasta and all of the, you know, they even still have bread. A lot of the bread's gone, but, uh, they still have a wide assortment of bread, uh, wider than a lot of the photos I'm seeing from other places. My wife went to Trader Joe's, though, on Friday or Thursday morning while Jonas was still going to school. She dropped him off, had the car, went to the Trader Joe's here in Center City, Philadelphia. Um, and she felt like she might have made a mistake when she pulled in. Now, it's, it, you know, for those of you who don't live in a major city, it's a Trader Joe's is a weird yeah. supermarket. It's a lot of fun. People and the parking lots are always bad. Park, and the parking lots are always bad. On a normal, on yep. a normal Thursday at eight a.m., it is not a good parking lot. But it's the sort of parking lot where you don't just pull in off the street and you're in the parking lot. You pull in off the street and you're more or less in like a driveway to get to the parking lot. And she pulled in and realized this is going to be a mistake. It was a half an hour to get. To from the street to the parking lot, but she mm. couldn't back up because people had gotten behind her. And it's, you know, one way to get in, another way to get out. So you can't just make a U-turn or something. So she more or less had to wait the half hour to get to the parking lot. Once she did that, why not go? She gets to the front door. There's a line to get in because they were filled to the fire code capacity. And there's an employee there saying, you know, that the way they're managing the fire code is every 20 who leave, they'll let 20 come in. Um, and she said that, you know, she was, she didn't count, but she figured she was probably like 25th, you know, but she wasn't like in the next batch. She was like at least one batch behind. Um, and so she waited a while and maybe like 10 minutes or something. And then a, woman came out, a customer, and and just empty-handed and said, you know, unless you have two hours, to, you know, announced to everybody waiting in line, unless you have at least two hours of time, you should just leave because I was in there 45 minutes. Um, the line to get to the checkout snaked through every single, up and down, every aisle of Trader Joe's. And she said, I was, I was only about one-third of the way through and she said the only way to shop is to get a cart, get in the line, empty carted, and as you snake <laughs> through every aisle of the market, do your shopping at, while you're in line. <laughs> she said it's the only way to get – she said because there's no other way because the line is solid. You can't really you know, shop in you know, any right, other way. Right, the store is the line at, the, at that point. Right, the store is the line, and she said she was in there 45 minutes, and was, she said I was only about a third of the way through, maybe a half at the best. And my wife had to, had to go – had to be somewhere at 10, so it was, she knew she wouldn't make it, so she just abandoned ship and came home. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, it's yeah, just... and and what everything I've read says that the supply chain is fine. That 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 yeah. people people are rushing out yep. because they're afraid. And I think the truth is, you want to have some semblance of control over your life, and that's a thing that you can control. Is yep. you know, kind of nesting instinct, like people who are about to have a baby have. Whereas I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to yeah. get it done, and I'm going to stock up, and all of that. And and you you know, this is a thing that we can't control, and that we you can't even see it. And so I I understand the the human nature behind it, but also everything I've read says that the supply chain is doing okay and there aren't going to be food shortages and 
you don't need to do what people have been doing where they're, you know, buying all the toilet paper and all of that. At the same time, I do think it's true that everybody would probably be wise to minimize the number of trips they take to the store. Yeah. So, like, if you used to, yeah. we always talk about, my wife will often go to Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and Safeway and, mm-hmm. you know, Costco and get different things at different places. And what we're trying to do is have, you know, make our list be big and then go ideally at an off hour, although it sounds like there basically aren't any, and do one kind of trip and then and then that's it for a while just to reduce the amount of exposure. But there's only so much you can do. But I get the I get the human nature part of it of just wanting to wanting to control it, something in an uncontrollable situation. But it's also kind of ridiculous to have that kind of experience at a Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is not made for that. It's no, just not. No, it really isn't. Um uh, and, you know, again, my hat's off to all of those people who are doing their jobs, showing up. I mean, man. I Absolutely. Mean, you know, Anybody who's who's working at a grocery store uh, or, or who is in the supply chain, uh, like uh, parcel drivers and, and letter carriers and you know, everybody who's yep. in the distribution thing, anybody who does deliveries of any kind, like this is how the rest of us are going to be able to, you know, ride this out is that there are people out yeah. there who are moving everything around and getting it where it needs to go. We have a great UPS guy. You know, and I know Marco has talked about this where he lives. Everybody has a different, you know, some people have a bad U- UPS service and a great FedEx guy. We have a pretty, we have pretty good FedEx, but we have a great UPS guy, Vince. I mean, we love the, Vince is the best. Honest to God, I should write like a letter to the CEO of UPS about Vince. He's the best UPS guy. Shows up today. Amy was like, Vince, I'm so happy to see you. I'd hug you, but you know, <laughs> and he's like, you, you got it, Amy. <laughs> Virtual hugs all around. <laughs> But uh, man, I can't even imagine the stress. Honestly, I'd be so stressed if uh, if I were working like a register, you know, and just you know, people one after another after another, you know. Think about it. And like I said, there were yeah. fire capacity all day, probably. Yeah, and that's too many people in an enclosed space on top of it. So yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. You know, now that the, like the CDC is saying that they're recommending no more than fifty people in a group. Does that? count like is a, a supermarket count as 50 people and i i, I don't know how they're going to do that because like a, a trader joe's is a very different square footage than like a suburban safeway or you know whatever your your brand you know piggly wiggly wherever you live yeah you know the new you know the modern supermarkets in in suburban united states are enormous you know 50 people in a modern Walmart is empty, right? It's a ghost town. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm, you know, we all have to be smart and we have to listen to the advice of the experts, but I'm not quite sure what they mean by 50 people at a time because I think it really makes a big difference whether it's 50 people in a Trader Joe's versus 50 people in a Walmart. For sure. Uh, anyway, let me take a break here. Thank our first sponsor. Great sponsor, Linode. Linode, that's where I host Daring Fireball. I love Linode. They are fantastic. Look, whether you're working on a personal project or managing an enterprise-level infrastructure, Linode cloud hosting has the pricing support and scale that you need to take your project to the next level. They have 11 data centers worldwide, all of them, from top to bottom, from the biggest plan to the smallest, with enterprise-grade hardware, their next-generation network. Linode Cloud Hosting delivers the server performance you expect at a price that you don't. They have a special offer for all listeners of the show. Use the promo code TALKSHOW2020 
when you create a new Linode account, and you will get 20 bucks credit to your next project. And here's the thing, starting on March 2nd, that's in the past, so I don't care if you listen to this tonight. I don't know. We won't get it out tonight, but tomorrow, whenever it gets out, it's already in place. It ends April 30th. Anyone with a Linode account, whether it's an old account or a new account, can test out object storage. That is their new S3-compatible, redundant, highly available storage option, perfect for storing critical data. Just log into the cloud manager and add a new object storage bucket to get started. Um, it's a great deal. And you can get uh, a free three-month trial of object storage using that code, TalkShow2020. Just a reminder of a few of the other things they have. One-click installations of all popular apps, including things like WordPress, the whole LAMP stack, uh, game servers for Minecraft, which is a great use of their little nano things that are only like five bucks a month. Uh, native SSD storage on everything, every level, everything's SSD. It's super great. It's really, I, I could not be happier moving Daring Fireball there. Uh, and you really do, you get all the access you need. You have root access to your server. Uh, they have this great advanced API, a Python command line interface, if you're at that level of, of expertise. If you're really more like me and just sort of a punter, uh, really, it just comes out of the box, ready to go with a modern Linux, up-to-the-date, really easy to use if you're familiar with the command line at all. They, they also have a great uh, web interface for really the basic stuff. And their Nanode plans start as low as 5 bucks a month, which is crazy. Uh, for what you get. And with that $20 code with Talk Show 2020, that's four months. Anyway, I love them. They're great. And they are still hiring. Go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. My thanks to Linode for continuing to uh, support the show. Yeah. Uh, let me think. <laughs> I think else? last time I was here, we were talking about your uh, the all of our various movable type problems yeah. involving moving to new servers and things like that. And, and it's uh, Linode's great, though. That's where mine is, too. I've got an old server there on an old version and a new server there that's going to run the new version. And it's a whole it's a whole thing. Uh, boy, that feels like a long time ago. Yesterday feels like a long time ago. I, I know that all of our jokes about how every week was a month. It's like every hour is a month now. Yeah. Uh, I guess before we move on, I got to get this out of the way because it's actually a couple of weeks old, a couple of episodes old. I've got, I've got follow up. This feels Ooh. ancient. This feels like something from, <laughs> from like the 1980s at this point. Uh, I don't even remember what the hell episode we were talking about this on, but, uh, in the context of Sherlocking, do you, I don't know if you, I don't know. Oh Yeah. What was I talking about? What was yeah, that? so the the idea here is that is that um, Sherlock like that that Watson uh, was oh, this app, right. and then Sherlock came out, and the truth is it, there was a Sherlock before, right, right? And then Watson, the idea was that Watson was going to amplify right. Apple Sherlock, but what happened is that in Sherlock three. Not to, right. I mean, I'm reading your notes here, but that, that was that big moment where, like, because the whole idea of Sherlock 3 was that there were these templates. It was all these smart templates, and that was what Watson was, was right. smart templated search and things like that to make it more than just sort of a, a, a basic find utility. Right. And, and so it boomeranged back around where it was like, Watson, Sherlock begat Watson, and Watson was like Sherlock only better. And I think, the, the Sherlocking happened when Sherlock got, yeah. suddenly got all the features that Watson had. Yeah, and... and uh I think that might have been the episode with Maltz, but uh, but mm-hmm. I, I had I had forgotten 
that in the context of our community verbifying Sherlock to mean when Apple comes in with a built-in feature or utility that obviates all or even just significantly part of a third-party utility, we call it Sherlocking because of this thing with Sherlock and the third-party app Watson. The thing I had forgotten was yet exactly what you said. Apple had a thing called Sherlock first, but it was really just sort of like like what we now call spotlight sort of it was just like yeah i mean it was basically like a find command for the internet i think right. but but it, where where it would do a an internet search or or a search on your mac but it didn't have all of the like template search templates where you could search for a very specific thing and get a specific result back and, yeah and, and have that was them, what watson did and have them come back in a very structured form yeah, like if exactly. you were searching for weather it came back in like a widget in the window that looked yeah. like weather results and if or you, you were, search for a movie and the imdv page would come back right. instead and it would have and you a, could write them in, in in watson and then later in sherlock right. you could actually write a search query where you basically said right. if they input this here's the url and then here's how you parse the result and display it and it was a whole right. thing that was very clever and you know we could argue about whether it was also my memory at the time is that it was also fairly clear that that was the direction Apple's product was going in. Right. And just because Watson existed didn't mean that suddenly Apple couldn't take their product in the direction that it needed to go in. But that was, that's the origin of it. Yeah. But it's funny that I didn't remember the Sherlock one and two part of it, even though it, it, it would have made it, it makes no sense for the first product to be named Watson. Also, what a burn that would be if they uh, if Apple steals your product and also um, names it something that just references your product. That right, would be even worse. <laughs> it did. It did set off a sort of a, when I was talking about it live on the show. I, I definitely was like, I don't think I'm getting this right because that doesn't make sense. That seems way too gratuitous. Um, yeah, it's cheap shot. <laughs> right. Uh, although I guess the closest they ever got to that was with the confabulator thing with what was apple's thing recall was dashboard Dashboard, right right but the thing that was sort of the naming was similar was so for those who don't remember back in around the same time you know pre-iphone you know probably so probably circa like 2004 there was a third-party utility called confabulator with a k here i'll put it Mm -hmm. in the show notes i'll i'll write this down here uh there's a uh, there's a nice daring fireball uh, post about this. Yeah, there's definitely a nice DF post about it. Uh, actually, I'll probably have to link to it because probably anything related to the actual confabulator is 404 by now. Uh, other than a handful, you know, MacWorld's still around, Tidbits is still around, but geez, just about anything else is probably 404. But anyway, third party utility, Arlo Rose and. Uh, I forget who else was was behind it. It was sort of a two person thing. It was kind of ne- really neat, really neat idea where you would use XML to specify what they called gadgets, and then a gadget would be like a little window, like a little, uh, just a little, uh, you know. If you know, if you remember dashboard widgets in in Apple, you know, confabulator gadgets were sort of the same thing. Now, I think that what, the gad- this old the old DF post actually says the confabulator had widgets and Apple's documentation oh. called them gadgets, oh. but then when they shipped them, they called them widgets. So it's uh, like they just okay. completely took it over. They just completely took the name. Yeah. yeah. Well, widgets is a better name anyway, which mm-hmm. is no surprise that the first one used it rather than because they're not gadgets; they're widgets. There's definitely a difference. Anyway, both of them were neat ideas. Dashboard was built on HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Uh, I guess Confabulator's scripting language was JavaScript, but the specification mm-hmm. was 
uh, a, a custom XML thing. And now that I think about it, this is my my let's let's modernize this with the Sherlock and Watson and the gadgets and the widgets and the confabulators and the dashboards. All of that was all desktop stuff because there was no iPhone yet. We were a couple of years away from the iPhone. Uh, but it all sort of, in hindsight, presaged the current world where on phones, and I think to a great extent, too, definitely iPads on mobile, applications, native applications dominate usage and the mobile using the web in, in a web browser uh, is a minority of you. I just saw some statistic. Somebody pointed to a talk from a Google engineer who uh, who claimed, and this was I get a talk, you know, but uh, that that according to Google statistics, something like only eleven percent of time spent on mobile devices is in a is on the web. Uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's definitely higher because I sit there and read stuff on the web all the time. But yeah. But I believe it, you know, and, and I think it's, you know, I, I don't know how Google measures it because a ton of my time on the web on my phone is in TweetBot. So I'm on the web, but I don't know because I'm in TweetBot whether that registers with Google as I'm on the web or, you know, and if I'm not on a Google website, how's Google measuring it? I guess that's a whole bunch of sites have Google Analytics hooked up. I don't know. But it all rings true, though, if you just think about how you use, you know, where you, well, I use apps all the, you know, way more than I use the web. And that seemed to me the whole point of Sherlock and Watson and Confabulator and Dashboard was, hey, native stuff is cool. And, and it, from an interface perspective, is better and more convenient than always having to go to this browser app and opening. I guess we did. I don't even know if we had tabs back then. <laughs> It was just dozens and dozens of windows with one web page in them. Yeah, it, I think it also um, it suggested the sweet solution that we got when the iPhone came out, right, of being able to sort of save yeah. web pages. And instead of having apps, there were sort of like web apps. And it was very much the same kind of like, well, a web page with JavaScript is kind of like an app. And that was in the water, obviously, because yeah. here in 2004, the same, that was what dashboard and confabulator were, is use web technologies to build stuff. And now now we have the equivalent of that for things uh, like, uh, you know, my Slack app that I use every day is built right. with web technologies, right? right. It's, not, it's not a native app. And it has, it has benefits to the developer largely and a cost to the user largely, but um, it is, it, it it's the same kind of push and pull. And like the, the beauty of, of the dashboard stuff back in the day was all you needed to know was JavaScript. You didn't need to know everything that goes into building a native app. And that, that was, they were trying to find a new, a new, place for people who wanted to build stuff on the platform to go who had this background in web yeah. technology but didn't have it in in building apps um but the iphone changed that really fast the app store yeah and, and yeah i definitely think that there was that sentiment of hey we can do we can give so the web is such a it uh, it's such a tremendous step forward in terms of its openness fundamental openness and that it's inherently cross-platform and it, it was largely a boon to apple because 
prior to the growth of the web in the explosion of the web in the nineties, when that was literally it, the explosion of the web coincided with Apple's resurgence after they acquired next. And they go hand in hand because part of the reason Apple was suffering so much in the mid nineties was that windows had become so dominant that everything that was all software that was being not all software, but, you know, like when Napster first came out, that was a huge thing. Napster was a Windows app, and the Mac apps at first were like, uh, remember, it was like Maxter. I mean, there were, it was, you know, like a sort of semi-open protocol, but new stuff happened, and it was Windows apps. And inside, uh, you know, like uh, big corporations, when they made in-house applications, they, they're, they were making Windows apps. And so, you know, there was no way to sort of have a, hey, this department can use Macs and that department can use Windows. It was like everybody had to use Windows because some of the tools that the company had were Windows only. And when the web came about and you know it was possible to make web apps for everything, all of a sudden you could use a Mac and you could use Windows and you could log on to your uh, intranet. Remember that word? Mm. <laughs> but it was... You know, it, it instead of Windows being dominant because it was 95% of all computing devices, the web was dominant because it was literally 100% of computing devices, right? Like, you, it, it was unimaginable at one point to think that there would ever be this platform that would have greater market share than Windows, but it was because it was like a meta platform that could run anywhere, right? Right. Uh, but at the other hand, the downside to it was, man, you know, the user experience, just like clicking on buttons and filling in text forms and the text editing and, you know, just everything was like just this huge crude step backwards because everything was sort of a crude uh, lowest common denominator experience, right? It's, you know, the and the web's come a long way in some ways in terms of how polished you can make the experience, but... The gist of it, I think, you know, the sentiment behind things like Confabulator and Sherlock and Watson, et cetera, was that, man, we could make this so much better. And, you know, like with Confabulator in particular, uh, most of their widgets were very small, you know, like just little like index card size, if not smaller, right? Yeah. Like like when you open uh, the calculator app or PCalc from our friend James Thompson, right? You get a, on a Mac, you don't get it doesn't take up your full screen because it's just a calculator. It opens a right. little window that's the size of a calculator, right? Which is exactly very useful. And especially with if you have like a desktop monitor where you can really, you know, arrange your windows just so you can have a little window off to the side for a thing that only needs a little window. Like why in the world, if you just want to have the the weather open, would you need to open a new web browser window, which is going to default to the size of, you know, the full height of your screen and, yeah. you know, the size of a piece of paper when all you need is the temperature, you know, you just need a little, a little widget, right? Uh, so I thought that was, I thought one of the mistakes Apple made with dashboard was uh, by putting them all on the one page. Remember you used to have to go off yeah. to the left. Yep. It was like, well, what's the point, right? <laughs> like if I just want to have a little weather thing, why can't I have the little weather thing right there with all my other windows in my main space? I'm, I'm still, I'd love to know why Apple did it that way because I thought it was a terrible mistake. And I almost wonder whether they did it that way as like a courtesy to Confabulator because doing it the other way was the way Confabulator did it, where the gadgets were interspersed with your regular windows. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. Yeah, and there was a workaround where you could like pick up a dashboard widget and then hit the hot key to close dashboard, and then it would stay right. out of da- the dashboard layer, so they could run outside. But I think you know maybe Apple just didn't want to mix and match. But you're right; the whole appeal was that there were these little things, right? And then they all lived on their own full screen layer. Yeah. Well, who knew we were going to spend time on Confabulator? Mm. <laughs> that was that was the, the interface of the Confabulator. Confabulator widgets was also. Um, they were often very bizarre. It really reminded me of the era of MP3 players with yes, custom skins, it, yeah. like like you know, Panics Player and and Sound Jam and all that. That had these super weird yeah. skins, and it was it was an era. That era was the time where people like created like Photoshop files with weird interfaces and right. thought they would try them out, and then the, right. I, I think in the end they were fun, but not necessarily functional. Yeah, what was Panics was Audion, so it was Audion right. and Sound Jam and uh, and what was the big one? Uh, Winamp was the Winamp. big one on Windows, right? And it was always to me it I, that whole era. Well, I guess, I, yeah, I guess it predated Daring Fireball because uh, that was all iTunes came out in two thousand or two thousand one. Two thousand iTunes came out, yeah, right, and because the iPod came out in two thousand one, mm-hmm. I all I. Don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of dates, but I, you know, famously remember that because the iPod announcement was postponed and was low key because it was after in the, in the aftermath of nine eleven. Yep. Um, which I have to say has been on my mind a lot lately because I keep thinking that what we're going through right now. The only comparison I can think of in terms of just the general uncertainty that every single person is experiencing right now is only comparable to 9-11. And I know it's different in a whole bunch of ways, but in just in terms of general uncertainty. Boy, I remember that. But anyway, mm-hmm. that was all before Daring Fireball. But the thing I remember, and boy, I wish I had been writing Daring Fireball so I could point to it, was how emblematic of the difference between Windows and Mac, the difference in the quality of those weird custom UIs was between SoundJam and Audion on the Mac... <laughs> versus Winamp. And I forget which one it was, if it was SoundJam or Audion that eventually supported Winamp's format so that you... I think SoundJam let you use Winamp skins eventually. Yeah. Yeah, and that sort of made sense because even though SoundJam is the one that Apple acquired and turned into iTunes uh, and still lives on today as the in two ways, I guess, as both the uh, uh, the music app on Catalina and the TV app on Catalina are both sort of forks of iTunes, which was Apple's rebranded, single-skinned, of course, <laughs> uh, version of SoundJam. Right. But I... The, you know, no surprise. And both were technically excellent. And I guess I should, it's time to put a link into Cable Sasser's write up of when Apple reached out to panic to think about, you know, there were obviously Apple had two choices of things to buy and uh, they were both very good options. And, you know, Apple considered buying panic just to get Audion. But I, at my recollection was that while both were technically excellent, especially given the constraints of the classic Mac OS. It was absolutely insane to have background MP3 players and in like invisible transparent windows, <laughs> stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like there was no support in the OS for transparent windows, and somehow they made it work. Um, 
Uh, yeah, and they just did a um, they just did a blog post about finding all the faces of Audion of all those custom things as a part of the because Panic has a podcast now, right? I've been on um, it, and yeah, and, and Krista Morgan is is producing it, and they did an episode about Audion, and then they did a thing about how they had to dig up all of their old skins and find a way to make them display properly which is really fascinating uh, right. to that that kind of spelunking through 20 year old stuff i will link to that it's noted uh, but anyway i my hunch my my gut feeling and i think most people would agree was that the the skins for audion were slightly more uh, exquisitely designed than the ones for sound jam um and you know no surprise coming from panic who's Forte yeah. is exquisitely pixel perfect. Chef's kiss. That is the state of the art <laughs> in user interface design right now, sort of work. And then the Winamp stuff was like, <laughs> I don't know. It was <laughs> pretty much like the Vegas strip, <laughs> like the bad end of it. <laughs> Flashy for sure. Not necessarily what you would call beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what else? I got more follow-up. Uh, Look at you. Yeah, one more. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about this story, uh, the German report about Apple perhaps do you know, and filed this under a non-sarcastic, finally, um, allowing third-party default apps on iOS, by which we mean, let's say you use Spark, uh, or you use, uh, uh Gmail, the Gmail app as mm-hmm. your main email client, you could, though the idea would be you could say, this is my main email client. And so if you click a mail to link in any app, uh, it would open Gmail or Spark or whatever it is that you've said, this is my main email client as opposed to Apple Mail. And you could say, uh, Chrome is my default web browser. And so you open a web link anywhere that opens in your browser, it would open in Chrome, it's so forth. Um, the angle on here that I need to follow up was with regard to um, I, I said something to the effect of Apple doesn't really have a financial angle here, you know that whatever there uh, there's many reasons, and I, I defended it in some ways, you know that it's not as much of a no brainer as some people would think, especially people who like us who use third party apps and are really, you know, write about them and enjoy hearing about them and know the developers of them and are enthusiastic about, you know, new third party apps. Um, it, it's easy to get caught up as an enthusiast and think this is just totally frustrating BS that Apple doesn't allow you to set these things as your default for these handlers, but it's, you know, it, it requires nuance to think about why Apple might, not have done it. It's not quite just in, it's definitely not indifference and I don't think it's spite, but the one thing I said was something to the effect of that, they don't really have a financial interest in it. It's not like when you use Apple mail instead of the Gmail app that Apple profits from that. The thing that I overlooked and I knew about this, I've known about this for you know years, ever since it started is that the Safari versus other browsers thing is um, – there's a lot of money involved. Uh, Right. And the thing I got hung up on was that even with third-party browsers, you have to use WebKit as the rendering engine. And so in some extent, 
even if you're using Chrome or you're using Firefox, if you're using it on iOS, you're using this Safari rendering engine WebKit under the hood. The difference is, and it is a lot of money, is that Google is at, pays Apple a ton of money to uh, be the default search engine in Safari. So when you go up to the location bar and you type uh, uh, coronavirus symptoms and hit return, and it goes to Google by default and returns search engines. Um, the the most recent information I found, I don't. Or did you update this? I don't know if you no, updated. No, this is this is your your link. Yeah. The twelve yeah. billion estimated the twelve billion dollar check written yeah. from Google to Apple in twenty nineteen. Yeah. So, and you know, I, I would presume, given the way things have gone, that it's only gone up since then. And nobody really knows. I don't believe this has been confirmed. What are this? What's the sourcing on this? It will reportedly pay, pay this, according to Business Insider. It uh, comes from via Goldman Sachs analyst Rod Hall. Rod Hall is actually a very good analyst. Um, yeah, he gets on the Apple um, analyst calls. So obviously, yeah. they they don't think he's a a rogue element or anything. But no. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, it's like having Amazon affiliate fees or something like there's yeah. a search engine affiliate relationship yeah. and Apple gets paid by Google for all of those search referrals. Yeah. And I'm sure if, if they were DuckDuckGo searches, DuckDuckGo would pay something too, except they wouldn't and they'd go out of business or whatever. Right. I'm sure Microsoft would pay with Bing, right? It's, it's a, they're sending business Google's way. Yeah. Um, and and they get paid for it, which is it, it, there's an argument to be made that maybe Apple should use something like DuckDuckGo, or Apple should buy DuckDuckGo and have it as this neutral search engine that isn't tracking people. Right. Um, but that would be not just a nice move for consumers; that they would be turning their back on billions of dollars a year if they did that. Right. So if we take Rod Hall's number at it, you know, and again, you might imagine that this is at negotiated at the very highest levels of Apple. And Google, uh, I would assume uh, Eddie Q and Tim Cook are directly involved. I don't even know, you know, it, 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 I don't know who the equivalents would be at, at Google, but you know, $12 billion is even by Apple standards is a yeah. lot of money. Um, and yeah. it, you know, I, 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 I don't forget it, but I think I often, I don't, I don't know that I bring it up enough. And it is, it does sort of, it, it is, it's worth even more than an asterisk. It is a, don't forget, you know, like raise your hand. Don't forget about like when Tim Cook talks about Apple having different uh, priorities in terms of privacy. And he has even mentioned Google by name as a company that has, by Apple's, from Apple's perspective, lesser a le places a lesser priority on privacy of customers um, and that Apple isn't, you know, when they're taking 12 to or plus billion dollars a year to keep Google as the default search engine in Safari on all of their platforms, they're, they're, they're getting a pretty nice piece of that pie. Yeah. And they're, you know, it, I, I don't think they're absolved in the least from all of the privacy implications of that. I mean, if you're taking the money, then you're you're on the hook for all of all of that. In, in my yeah, opinion. even even if you're you know limiting your disclosure of what you know and personalized information on all of those things, which they have rolled into Safari, 
you know, in the end, you're, you're still sending them to a Google page. Google knows your IP address unless you're using a VPN. They can build a profile. They are going to show you ads. All of those things are still a part of that experience. I, yeah. You know, you could argue that Google is still also the best search engine experience. And that, right. that, that's part of the argument. Right. I've been using DuckDuckGo on my Mac for a while. And you know what? It's okay. But there are moments where I have to just go to Google to find something because DuckDuckGo just can't quite do it. Google right. is slicker. It's it's very it's a good product, but it's also it's Google. We all know what that means. Yeah, uh, it's definitely you know a complicated decision, but you know, and part of the reason I, I've been using DuckDuckGo for years now, enough as my default for enough years, and for most times, it, it I, I'm not doing it, it despite myself. It's not like I'm you know living in a shack out in the woods, you know cutting my own, you know, butchering my own uh, animals that I've caught in a trap. You know, DuckDuckGo is a very good search engine. And if Google didn't exist and DuckDuckGo were the best search engine we had today, we would still all be raving when we really are honest about it. Like what a marvel, you know, one of the great marvels of the current of the modern world this search engine is that we can type these things and get the results. But there are times, there are definitely more times than the vice versa by far that you might type X, Y, and Z and expect to get a certain result and DuckDuckGo doesn't have it. And then you do the same search in Google and there it is at the top of the results. Um, one of the things that makes that easy though is for the most, most of the searches, DuckDuckGo is just fine and you get exactly what you want. And if it's not and you suspect Google's going to do better, you can just go right back up to your search terms and type G exclam, just add the term G exclamation mark as a DuckDuckGo shortcut for redirect me to Google and do the exact same search. And they redirect you to Google in a way that I think sort of helps prevent tracking. They, hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure how. I, I don't know how you could possibly keep Google from tracking you, but uh, it's not that bad. I don't know. If anybody's ever thought about doing it, I, I would encourage you to try. But uh, end of follow-up, basically, uh, you know, guess what? Uh, when you use Chrome as your browser <laughs> on iOS and you do a search in the search field, Google is paying Apple for that. <laughs> And so, you know, that's that's the obvious implication is if they allowed users to, you know, and this is a very cynical take, but it's, you know, it's obviously on Apple's mind. It's real money. But if they were to allow third-party browsers to be set at the def as the default, presumably that, that might increase the number of users who you spend more time in Chrome or Firefox or, you know, there's dozens of other really good web browsers for iPhone and iPad, um, the more people use them and being able to set them as the default would, you would think would only increase that. It would decrease Apple's leverage over Google for this annual negotiation on mm. keeping the, it as the default search engine. Right. Uh, wouldn't you love that? Was, I, I always think about that. Whenever this comes up, I always think of all the things I would love to be a fly on the wall for would be the, those negotiations in particular seem just like, man, that it would be like, I, I wouldn't you just, wouldn't that be like a, a fantastic Apple TV show, right? <laughs> <laughs> like they should, they should have a crew and tape them now and then just show it five years, you know, five years from now so that it's, you know, you, you know, keep it 
I don't know. It, it would be so great because both sides have tremendous leverage, right? Like Apple's got the tremendous market share of iPhone and iPad. It's uh, also, it's not just the sheer number of users. It is the demographics of, you know, their, their average household income compared to other mobile users. It's their engagement that I, you know, iOS users often are shown to be more engaged with their devices than Android users. And just the sheer number of, uh, just the sheer amount of collective attention that people pay to, uh, their mobile devices and how many times they do web searches. Uh, that's Apple side. And then Google side is, well, what are you going to do? You really going to go to Bing? You know, hmm. are you really going to buy DuckDuckGo? I mean, cause it, I, I mean, I don't know if they'd have to buy DuckDuckGo to make it the default. I, I don't know though that, you know, and, and, you know, and just think about it from a user's perspective. Like if you what update your phone to iOS 14, and then you go to do a web search, and it's sending you to DuckDuckGo, which you've never heard of. Again, I love DuckDuckGo. I encourage you, you know, people who listen to this show, to try it. I don't think my mom would understand what the hell is going on if her phone was up automatically updated to the next version of iOS and searching the web sent her there. I don't know that she's ever heard of it, right? So right. I don't think she's ever heard of Bing, to be honest. I... I so I, I feel like uh, Apple would probably make a lot more if Bing were stronger in branding and in, in terms of public consciousness, right? Sure. Because then sure. They, you know, maybe they would ping pong year to year. Like, okay, now Microsoft's going to offer us $20 billion. Uh, But they're not interchangeable. I feel like that is still the, you know, it's still the crown jewel of Google's... Uh, arsenal is the quality of the web search although i do think that web search do you think this do you think google web search is getting worse i don't use it as much as i used to because i've been using um i've been using DuckDuckGo a lot more on the desktop um but i don't know i mean i still go back to it and think that it's better than DuckDuckGo at finding pages but mm. i don't know i'm not that's just purely anecdotal it, it, it maybe it's related to my stuff, but the one thing I find that's very difficult to find, period, DuckDuckGo or Google is older stuff. And by older, I'm going to say roughly anything more than five years ago. But like if, you know, I'm sure that this, conf, you know, confabulator, daring fireball is still going to show my thing. Uh, but when I look for stuff like, you know, I don't know, stories about, um, just recently, here's an example. I, I, I uh, Jean-Louis Gasset, uh, and forgive me if if I butchered. <laughs> the, I think you nailed it. Well, that's as close as I can get to to a French accent. Uh, had a post that I linked to a couple of days ago about just you know just spitballing on the idea of you know what's what would an, what are the issues related to a Apple moving the Mac to ARM CPUs. And I wanted to look up stuff related to the PowerPC to Intel transition from 2005 and six, And boy, was a lot of that hard to find or just unfindable. Like, hmm. it just seems like – and, you know, it makes sense that most of what people search for is recent stuff. And so the algorithms, you know, tend to gear towards recent stuff. Uh, 
but it just seems to me anecdotally that search engines have gotten worse at finding stuff from 10 years ago than they used to be. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let me take a break. Thank our next sponsor. Oh, it's our good friends. You're not going to be surprised. It's our good friends at Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one service. I guess that's the best way to put it collectively. For uh, making and doing everything you want to with your own website. You go to Squarespace and you can do everything from registering the domain. First thing you need, what are you going to call the website, right? Where's Where do people to go? All the way to picking a template from a whole bunch of professionally designed templates that scale from this size to that size, from phone to giant monitors, um, and all of the features you might need on a website from hosting your own blog, updating it, including like posting entries to the blog. You do it all through Squarespace. Hosting a podcast, yep, you can do it at Squarespace. A store, yep, you can do it at Squarespace. Maybe you're one of the college students we were talking about. You're going out into the world. You want to have a portfolio of your work. Maybe you're a designer. Maybe you're a, um, someone who's built websites or something like that, and you want to put a collection of them, have a portfolio of things people can click to. Guess what? You can do it at Squarespace. It is a great company. They have great service, great customer support. Uh, and you can start building a website at Squarespace for free, absolutely free. It is real. It is absolutely as real as it would be when you're a paying customer. They don't put like a big, uh, this is a temporary website that this person isn't paying for yet. You can just make your website as real as it will be. And when you're ready, when you think this is it, this is great, this is exactly as good as, as Gruber told me it was going to be, and you go pay, you just flip the switch, pay, and you're ready to go. There you go. It's seamless. And Remember this code, TALKSHOW, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W, when you do go to pay at checkout, and you'll get 10% off. And you can pay. When you do that, you can pay for a whole year at a time, save 10% off the whole year just with that code, TALKSHOW. Remember, here's the thing. Every site looks professionally designed, but you don't have to stick with their templates. If you're a designer or you have a designer, you could design the whole thing from top to bottom if you want. And if you want to take one of their templates and tweak it, you can do that. Their tools are easy to use, totally graphical. You don't have to know any code, but if you do know code, you can get in there. So go to squarespace.com slash talk show and remember that code talk show when you pay and you will get 10% off your first purchase and you get a free trial. Squarespace.com slash talk show. Oh, coronavirus and Apple. Let's get it over with. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here, and yeah. there is an awful lot since the last time I did a show, which was only like two weeks ago. Um, we went from went from me and Federico talking about. I think I gave the odds then at fifty fifty that we would have WWDC, but I maybe I'm giving myself too much credit, and I thought it was like a one in three chance that WWDC was not going to happen. Um, and of course, as we now know. WWDC is, as we know it, as an in-person 5,000 attendee congregation of the entire Apple community is not going to happen. Uh, and as we record today on Monday, that is the most obvious statement in the world. Two weeks ago, it wasn't. Very, it seemed a little outlandish. Uh, and even when Apple made the announcement last week, they were still slightly ahead of the curve. Right? It didn't. 
you know, it was, I don't think anybody was surprised by that point, but it, it seemed like the writing was on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I feel like we progressed very quickly from it might not happen to it, it probably won't happen to it's, they've certainly decided it's not going to happen, but they haven't announced it yet, which, um, the nice thing about that is by the time they made their announcement, I feel like everybody had already, like, it was a foregone conclusion by yeah. the time they said it. Yeah, we had already passed the passed to the point of a, a acceptance in the stages of grief. Um, I kind of feel, I have no inside information on this whatsoever, but I kind of feel, I one thing I, I am certain of, and this isn't from inside information, it's just knowing the way Apple works, is that they were on top of this for a long time and their public silence on it is a reflection of that's, that's how Apple is about everything. Apple isn't, doesn't, doesn't, you know, Apple measures a hundred times and cuts once, you know, they, they were monitoring this, their, their silence on it. And their, the fact that they didn't announce anything officially until last week wasn't because they weren't paying attention or were taking it lightly. It was that they, you know, they take their time. Um, I can't help but feel, you know, and, and the weird thing about this is that uh, WWDC, I don't know if there are, I'm not aware of any other conferences of similar size that I would know about that are always, every year annually, announced with so little uh, time between the announcement of the dates and uh the selling of tickets, you know, are now lot, you know, lotteries, you know, to get for attendees to sign up to to go, and the actual uh, conference. Most conferences are announced at least a year in advance, so that you know, MacWorld's a great example. You'd you'd be leaving MacWorld Expo, and the signs at the door would say, you know, next year, January fourth to. 10th yeah. Macworld next year, you know, um, and, and most conferences are like that. You know, WWDC has always been unusual in terms of having, you know, getting announced, you know, mid-March to mid-April. I think mid-April is about the latest they've ever done it, you know, even though I it's... I think they've gone to late April, but not much more than that. But, it, you know, other than like one exception from like 2006, I believe, when it was in August, it's pretty much been like clockwork. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I've been wrong in 10 years at guessing which week in June was going to be WWDC week. Um, this week, this year's is a little bit, it's always June. It always starts on a Monday. Uh, this year's a little harder to predict because June 1st is a Monday. But I think that, you know, the us- by the usual schedule, the start would have been June 8th. Um, you know, and if June was pushed back just a little bit, one more day, uh, definitely would have been that, that, that second, the Monday starting the second week of June. Um, but so all of these other conferences that have been canceled and every, it's funny because not every conference has been canceled. Uh, I saw that there was like a construction, big 130,000 attendee conference in Las Vegas last week that wasn't canceled, but got nowhere near 130,000 attendees. Um, yeah. Uh, 
they have, you know, they, they were, you know, canceled is absolutely the right verb for what happened because they were scheduled and then they were canceled. Well, WWDC wasn't canceled because it was never announced, right? Right. Um, so what they did do was they, they made an announcement last week that WWDC will have a all new online format. Uh, but they didn't give, they didn't even give dates, which, Reading between the lines to me says they weren't quite ready to announce it. Uh, whether they would have, all, you know, whether it would have been announced by now in the alternate universe where this coronavirus didn't even exist, I don't know. But I feel like as they made their plans for how they do this online only, you know, or, or online perhaps, plus a small media event for the keynote, although I think even that is looking less and less likely even now in mid-March. Yeah. Um, I feel like they, they, were, they were looking at the news and thinking, we can't wait anymore. You know, like if, if, they, if, if you and I were talking right now on March 16th and Apple still hadn't said anything, it would seem absurd, right? It, it's, so I feel like their hand was pressed to at least come out and say, WWDC is going to be in June. It's going to be online only in an all new format. Uh, we have lots of stuff we're excited to tell you and we'll tell you more soon. But I feel mm -hmm. like the fact that it doesn't even have a date for the keynote to me says that they kind of felt like the news, even, even with their silence, the news was getting ahead of them on this coronavirus. I think you're right. And I think they decided that it was that they didn't need to make an announcement with specifics just yet, but they needed to at least be clear that 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 this was the case. That it was they had reached the point where they really needed to just say, "Yeah, of course we're not going to do this, but we are going to do something online, and we'll let you know." I was struck by the fact that not only did they not give dates, but they say beginning in June, and it's sort of like starting in June, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, well, so we got a month, which is June. It could be the first week, but it could be the last week, right? And then starting in June, I I, I immediately thought. And when does it end? Like, they right. could completely reconceive this thing where there's a big kickoff sometime in June, and then there are new sessions that roll out across the whole summer, even. Not necessarily all there on day one or even in over the course of a week. I would think right. that, you know, that would be the closest analog, and it might be what they'd prefer to do, but they're not really committing to that. They could stretch this out and and have WWDC be this thing that happens over the course of, you know, eight weeks if they wanted to, or or all summer. The one thing that really matters timing, not timing-wise, but, the, uh, you know, as a mark your calendars, this is a, an event, is the keynote. The, the public keynote, the thing where they make yeah. the announcements they would have made on Monday morning, which is meant for everybody, from developers to the mass market not even technical media, you know, and Apple's WWDCs get coverage on the front page of newspapers. And, you know, and again, I realize being on the front page of a printed newspaper is nowhere even close to what it used to be. But even if you talk about newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post and San Francisco Chronicle and, and you know, whatever well, else there's uh, above above, you know, first screen of right. nytimes.com. It's right. the same idea is that right. you want to get that that kickoff event is the one that everybody covers and, right. and and has broad appeal and everything else is for the developers, basically. Right. But I can't help but feel that it's part of the calculus of not even announcing the date for that yet is 
of, you know, not no. I mean, this whole coronavirus thing is so up in the air. I mean, and maybe there's an optimistic scenario where we go through a bad April and, uh, but then we start getting on the downslope in May and maybe it's not, it's obviously never going to happen that they're going to have 5,000 people in a giant convention room for a keynote. But it may be, you know, maybe the idea is that a, a media event at the Steve Jobs Theater with a couple of hundred I don't know. I mean, at this point, it, it sounds outlandish. Right. I, I, I do think that maybe they're holding out hope that um, things will have calmed down to the point where right. they might be able to have a small crowd in the Steve Jobs Theater for that keynote instead of it just being right. like a like Stephen Colbert and John Oliver were last week, right. where it's sort of they're shouting into a void and there's an empty theater. Right. I do also think one part of the hedge here has to be when do you – you can't do WWDC unless you've got – um, your new operating system's ready to go. You know the scope of them. You know what's new. You've got stuff ready to show to developers. You've got downloads ready to put up. Right. And that's the other part of this. One of the stories we've seen in the last few days, because this is moving fast, is uh, developers internal to Apple, but because of the security mm-hmm. restrictions on Apple stuff, in, either unable or it's very difficult to work at home on top secret Apple stuff, which is kind of a no-brainer. But at the same time, like if you're trying to get new versions of macOS and iOS and watchOS and tvOS and iPadOS all ready in a developer version to drop the first week of June, and suddenly you're trying to get them all to work from home, or they can't all be in at the same time, or whatever it is, it really calls into question the ability to 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 stay on schedule. And that's the other part of this, is like, what if they don't have a beta? What if they don't feel right. like they, they, they might not be able to announce until the end of June if right. they slip three or four weeks? Right. Um, all of that is up in the air, right? right. Like, that, this may not go... It's not just the gathering issue. It's also the, like, who's working on the software issue. Yeah. And there's there's actually, so there's two sides to that. So one, maybe inside Apple, the because of this work from home being a serious disruption to the way Apple works. I mean, more than any company I'm aware of in the tech sphere, and this is no surprise to anybody who's listening to this show, it, Apple has a culture of being on site face to face with the people yeah. you work with apple Come straight straight from steve jobs that was he he was absolutely a believer that everybody had to be in the same place at the same time right and that doesn't mean they're all in the same building they're way too big now they pretty much the entire city of cupertino now is <laughs> office buildings owned by apple yep. um i mean really i mean it's it, it if for those no, of us, drive, drive drive down there sometime, and right. you will. There is an Apple logo on almost every corner, like including across the street, which really just didn't used to be the case. And buildings, you know, there were buildings that's like ah, that looks like you know, they, they, there was like this great expansion in the late '80s and early '90s, and you know, in that era when Steve Jobs was in exile, and you can kind of tell because, <laughs> like, the architecture of the buildings is yeah. just very. Not to his oh, I can, I can spot I can spot a late eighties, early nineties Apple building yes. a mile away. We had one in right. San Diego, not too right. far from where I went to college, and it had the little Apple logo on it in you know nineteen ninety one or whatever, and all of them look like right. that. And there are a bunch of those in Cupertino for yeah. sure. But then there's some weird ones now too, yeah. like ones that are like, there's no way that's an Apple building, and then there's the, you drive by and there's the sign and there's yeah, an Apple they've logo. Leased, they've leased all the space there right. is to lease in Cupertino, right. and then built a giant campus. Right. And across the street from the giant campus, I don't know 
know if people know this. One of the funny things about it is Apple already had buildings on that street where the visitor center is. Um, most of the buildings across the street uh, that are south of the visitor center toward the freeway, those are all Apple buildings that have been there a while. <laughs> and and then if you go under the freeway there, there's the old mall that they want to redevelop. And part of the things they want to redevelop that into is more office space that Apple wants. Right. So they are they are... Basically, the motto is, you know, if you're in California, you're in Cupertino. And yeah. if you if you aren't, you know, your your organization is all in one building. Yeah. And if you need to talk to somebody else's organization, you go, you know, go, you go to a different building. But yeah. everybody is together. That's why James Thompson famously was given the ultimatum that he had to move from Ireland to Cupertino if he wanted to keep working on the Mac OS X dock. Because Steve yeah. didn't want the developer of the dock to be in Ireland. He wanted right. him to be in California. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not to say everybody's in Cupertino either. I know Apple is a growing footprint in Seattle. Uh, sure. They've, I don't know if they're still there. I remember like the, the iWorks team used to be in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, yeah. Right. But the iWorks team was in Pittsburgh. Right. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, yeah, the, you know, you can, you, if you'd like to come work on iWorks, you could work in the Pittsburgh office or you could work in Seattle. You come to Cupertino. No, no if you want to work on, on cloud, you go to Seattle. If you right. want to work on TV, you go to LA. If you want right. to work on iWork, you go to Pittsburgh. And right. if you want to work on Mac OS, you are going to be seated in, in Apple Park, basically. It, it is a face to face collaborative culture. So uh, now what? For better Now for what worse. do they do? Right. Well, so, so there's two levels to it. The first level, and I have to admit, the, the, I, th- I think you're talking about the Wall Street Journal story from the other day about the, yeah. the problems. You know, I'll, I have it written down, so I'll, I'll remember to link it. Um, I've thought about just the cultural part of it, that they're just not – they don't have tools for remote collaboration within, the, within a very close-knit team. Um, they – they just don't have the culture of it, and um, the, what the journal story brought up though is that they, they, there are just policies and rules about it. That you, for example, you can't bring hardware out of the building without of these. You know, famously, I've, you know, we know these stories from the iPhone. I mean, the iPhone was really super secret; it was like in a vault. But um, you know, it, hardware doesn't leave certain for sure locked, closed regulated doors but what if what you're working on requires you know you're you're a software engineer and you need to build and run but you need to build and run on the hardware but if you can't take the hardware out how you know there's no way to do that and think about things like uh, you know uh, i'm going to make up some numbers here but whether um you know, a, a certain animation for a transition should be 300 milliseconds or 500 milliseconds. And you build both and you look at them. Well, how the hell do you do that over remote video conferencing, right? How, how does a team that is sweating the details on how many milliseconds an animated transition should be do it when they're used to doing it on the actual prototype or, you know, even if it's not a prototype hardware, even if it's just an animation for a new thing that's going to run on the iPhone 11, but you're there together as a team looking at, so the hardware isn't secret. It's just an iPhone. We're just testing on the iPhone 11, which is already out, but the software is secret and the animation in terms of what it looks and feels like is right there in your hand in front of your eyes and now you're supposed to do it from home, and the person demoing it to you is doing it over a video conference. Well, how in the, that that's running yeah. at you know sixty hertz or something like that, sixty frames per second or or less. 
It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to make that sort of judgment call over a a teleconferencing link, no matter how good your bandwidth is, you know, to your home. So I don't think it's, I don't think it is speculative at all to, to suggest that this is going to be disruptive to the development of everything Apple has been planning uh, for the entire year software wise. And it's not to say that they couldn't do it, but it is to say that they, I think have not built up any, I don't know, but I'm going to guess they've built up very little that allows them to do it in these cases where you got to be there. Because why would they? I mean, other than to do disaster contingency planning, which living in California, you should probably do anyway. And there were questions about, like, with the fires, if the air quality wasn't going to be good enough. Like, there are all of these other issues out there. So maybe they've got some plan for it. But... Clearly, it's a hindrance, even if it isn't a right. full stop. Even if you bring people in in shifts or, or or spread them out, send some groups home and have other people come and sit further apart or however you wanted to do it, it's going to be a, a serious hindrance to your collaborative environment that you built up. And, and that's why I feel like um, when we talk about WWDC – you know, and this happens with everything with the virus, is you don't realize the assumptions you're making until you hit one of them and you go, oh, you know, and and WWDC is a perfect one. It's like, oh, what if they don't have, like, literally, what if they don't have developer builds? What if they aren't far enough along in development to know what they have confidence in mentioning in a keynote because they're not far enough along to know whether they they think it's shippable or not? right. No, I, Th- I think that may be the case. <laughs> I think it's definitely true. And then the the other side of not wanting to announce a keynote date is the actual, you know, preferring to have an audience of some sort, even if it's a Steve Jobs theater sized audience, which is right. like roughly a thousand people instead of a five or six thousand person cavernous, you know, uh, uh, San Jose Convention Center audience. Um. Apple likes an audience. They love, you know, they love to have an audience for keynotes. But what if it looks starts to look like it's practical, safe, totally safe, fine idea to do it, but probably not until the end of June. Then, you know, I think Apple would absolutely want to hold it until the end of June. Yeah. To have a live event and feel safe, good about it. So why, you know, I wouldn't be surprised honestly, the more I think about it, I would not be surprised if the date for the keynote is literally not announced until like most Apple events, maybe a, a week, week or a week two, before two week yeah. or two before. Yeah. And, and if I was sitting in that meeting with Phil Schiller and his team and developer relations and you know, all of those people, I think the argument I would make is why we don't know how quick, look how quickly this is moving. We don't know where we're going to be. Why, a, why announce a date when we really right. aren't sure? Right. Why do it? Why? Right. And I get that there are people because I talk. I talked to a couple of them on Twitter who like are planning. First off, they're planning a vacation for June. I'm like, you may not be taking that vacation. But secondly, like if you're planning time off from work so that you can stay home and consume all the videos, and like I get people want to plan, but your plans are in question. Their plans are in yep. question. Like, there. Why pick a date if you really don't have? confidence that you can hit the date and i don't see how any of us any of us in the entire world can have confidence in something like that 
right now because right. it's moving so fast. And if you are in charge of a big, complicated system with a bunch of employees, because like we haven't even started to talk about like what if you do bring in your employees and your key OS engineers all get coronavirus right and and 20 percent of your key os engineers are laid up in bed with a fever and breathing problems and may have to go to the hospital right. like that's also what you don't want to have happen right so who can tell like it, it's so why why commit to anything right now uh, they committed to the important thing which is yes we're going to do developer resources and call it wwdc and there'll be videos and it'll be in it'll start in june and yeah. Like maybe they should have even said summer, <laughs> yeah. but well, yeah. the, I think the reason that they said June, I think the reason they committed to June is, and, and um, I'm glad you said that because a couple of people, a lot of people uh, who who listen to the show or read the site have pointed to that. I think 2006 WWDC when they postponed it till August and thought, hey, that might be you know why not just punt a couple months? Uh, that wouldn't work for Apple anymore. Uh, no, because Apple, the iPhone. Assuming the iPhone ships in in September, right? You can't have your OS unveil be the month before the phone ships. And even if, and I guess we can get to that. But even if the iPhone doesn't ship in September, um, it's still it, Apple's going to want to get back on this schedule once this clears up. You know, even if it takes a year, you know that back in those pre iPhone days apple i think wanted i think apple always wanted to be on this roughly annual schedule it always seemed like they were working for it and they were just resource constrained and they you know uh, you get better at what you do right and and year after year they've gotten better at it um but you know there were gaps but you know early years of mac os 10 was rough were roughly annual and then it kind of got knocked off the annual you know, sometimes they were 18 months. And then when the iPhone was being worked on, they famously had a announcement that, Hey, we've, you know, we had a date for the next version of Mac OS 10, but we've pulled key engineers off to, to work on this iPhone, you know, the first version of the iPhone. So we're going to have to move this back six months. Um, they're going to want to stay on this annual schedule. And part of an- Apple's annual schedule is getting, the the schedule is in June. They tell us what's in the OSs, and they part of the you know reason they do it at a developer conference is they want developers to start working on these things, right? That they are announcing APIs and features, and they want developers to start updating their apps for them, um, so that come fall when these things come out, when these OSs come out, the you know there's developer support for them. You can't do that if you announce them in August. And then the other thing too is Apple is Apple's engineers are all heads down, nose to the grindstone, uh, July and August finishing these things up. I mean, uh, you know, again, <laughs> the start of this podcast seems like a long time ago by our current situation, but I think we all remember that iOS 13 was in really rough shape last summer and you know, shipped yep. in really weird fashion where 13.0 came out with the iPhones and was was out for four days before 13.1 shipped. Um, that's, you know, and that's with a, a, a nor, quote-unquote normal WWDC at the beginning of June and a full summer of work. Uh, punting the announcement and the betas till August, it just, it just 
wouldn't possibly fly. I mean, I, I, I guess it's theoretically possible if they're already willing to say the iPhone isn't going to ship till new iPhones aren't going to ship till December or January or something like that. But I don't think they're willing to say that yet. You know, it's, you know, there was an announcement just last week that Foxconn announced that they're actually ahead of schedule at getting back up to date. And they, you know, didn't mention Apple specifically, but you hear Foxconn, I hear Apple, right? Right. Um, I do wonder if, if they, you know, obviously they will try and things are going to be weird and things are going to slip and everything's going to be a little bit weird into the future for a while. But, um, you know, it, hard to believe that the iPhone isn't going to be a priority. It does make me wonder maybe if there are going to be some things that get deprioritized, right? Yep. Like there are features that have been rumored that maybe we won't see right. that they may take a lower priority, something like maybe even the Mac and say, we're going to, we're going to pull back on that. Of course, what if it, this year is the year that they're going to do um, arm on Mac yeah. and that was going to be a big thing. Then you can't really pull back on that. Although you might be able to say, you know, this isn't really going to ship until, no. uh, you know, next year. And so you've got, and take your time or something, but they may have to make some tough decisions because I think in the end, the one thing that is, Nothing is inviolate, but the closest you get is getting that iPhone out the door and getting an iOS update that goes with it. And that they they can't they they will they will prioritize that over everything else. I think if they have to. Yeah, but I think it's really. I I think that that June time frame for WWDC, whether WWDC is you know the traditional in person conference as we know it, or whether it's purely virtual, including the keynote, where even. Every member of the press is watching the keynote from home over the web, and nothing is done in person. It's June is sort of set in stone, and I think they could yeah. definitely push it to the end of June. And again, like you, you've made this point a couple of times, I think, already in the last couple of minutes, is that if need be, they'll cut features, right? But I think, yeah. you know, but I think they yeah, would cut, cut... cut features or they might even do a little prelude and say, here are some features that are going to be in yeah. here. They're not all going to be in there because we already know that they yeah. kicked things out the last couple of years. So right. just say it up front, like, these are the features we're working on. They're not all going to be in the developer beta. They're not all going to ship in the fall, but they will ship in the next 12 months right. and just move on. And right. everybody's going to understand, right? Because we're all, we will all have just been right. through this for the past several months and know that nothing is quite like what it used to be. Yeah. All right, let me take a break before we wrap up. And let me thank our third and final sponsor of this episode, Feels. Feels is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. Perfect timing for a delivery service. Hey, do you experience stress? Do you have anxiety? Well, (laughs) who doesn't? (laughs) Chronic pain, trouble sleeping at least once a week. Well, you're not alone. Many of us do. Feels, F-E-A-L-S, naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. It's easy to take. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue. You can feel the difference within minutes. Are you new to CBD? Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support to help guide your personal experience. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, no hangover, no addiction. And it's a membership service. You join the Feels community and you get Feels delivered to your door every month. You save money on every order by being part of the membership program. And you can easily pause or cancel at any time. 
Become a member today by going to feels.com. Once again, that's F-E-A-L-S.com slash talk show. And when you use that URL, you will get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That, that You heard that correctly, 50%. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash talk show. Become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your order and free shipping. My thanks to Feels for sponsoring the show. You little, uh, I know you would care about this, the editor and you. Uh, I don't know what to call this damn thing. COVID-19 or coronavirus. Oh, yeah. I saw you added the SARS-CoV-2. SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. So I, I give you the overview from my perspective, which is coronavirus is a generic term for right. a whole family of viruses that include things that cause like the common cold. Right. And it's based on like sort of how they actually look. They have these little spikes that when you look at it in a microscope, microscope it looks kind of like a crown. Right. Um, so this is a coronavirus. The thing is, coronavirus is a really great uh understandable, commonly used term. And um, so I get that, you know, right now when we say the coronavirus, everybody gets which coronavirus we're talking about. Yeah. And I, we can be pedantic about it, but like, I think we get it in terms of common usage that that sometimes I wrote a macro piece a few weeks ago about WWDC and I just called it coronavirus because I like didn't want to get into it. Right. And I think that's I think that's okay. Um and and it comes all these names also come from I think a, a fairly good place, which is um in the olden days we probably would call this the Wuhan virus because yes. that's where it yeah. first emerged. And the feeling there is that that leads to a lot of kind of demonization of China and Chinese people all over the world, which is happening anyway, by the way. So like to take it away from that and say like, we're not going to make this about a city. We're not going to place blame. We're not going to do anything like that. We're just going to call it a generic name. And they came up with, uh, with, with, so there are two names, right? The virus itself is SARS-CoV-2, right. which is basically acute respiratory, like the old SARS right. coronavirus number two, because this is the like it's all like the a bad sequel, SARS two. COVID nineteen is the coronavirus symptoms, the disease that's caused by the virus right. f- uh, found in 2019. So, technically, you could have a coronavirus, which was SARS-CoV-2, which was causing you to have COVID-19 symptoms, right? right? That's the chain of precision, if you want to be precise about it. Right. And the name COVID-19 comes from, CO is from corona. VI from virus, the D is from disease, yeah. and then the 19 is because 2019 is when it was first discovered, in, I right. think, in December. And thank, I do thank the WHO for just going with all caps and not lowering the O and the I, right? <laughs> yeah. Or the, even, the, you know, the, like... They just like the tech industry caps. would have lots of intercaps in it, right? But, but I have yeah. seen other. I've seen some publications that lowercase it like as though it was the name David, you know, like capital C, but then lowercase right. O V I D nineteen. Well, you know, uh, a lot of that, a lot of those may be um, British. In British English, they don't capitalize acronyms, even if they're right. acronyms. They just mm-hmm. put the initial cap and then they move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you'll see them talk about NASA, and it's capital N, lowercase ASA, and you're like, that's very weird, but that's, they, there's a style thing at play there. But, yeah. you know, yeah. I've shifted it during Fireball from coronavirus simply to COVID-19, and 
and I know when I made the shift, I know I knew that COVID nineteen was the disease, not the virus, and that the virus had its own name. Um, but I don't. It's too complicated. And number and yeah. also the SARS COV SARS dash COV dash two is really a. a that's I don't a mouthful. Know, what is, and what's the keyboard equivalent of a mouthful? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, right. It's a fingerful. I don't it, know. It, I don't it's, know. It's twister and, and with I think your fingers. This comes up a lot, and in, in the business that we're in, especially talking about technical things, there are there's a lot of pedantry to go around, right. and sometimes people are more concerned with people being right than being clear. Right. And I think you want to be right, but you want to be clear. Right. And if you're right but unclear, you failed. And so one, of the, that's why, like, I knew the difference between COVID nineteen and SARS CoV two and coronavirus when I wrote that first coronavirus piece for MacWorld, and I still went with coronavirus because right. I felt like, first off, it's not a piece about viruses that I'm going to explain how it works, <laughs> and second, everybody knows what I mean when I say coronavirus, so I'm going to choose right. to be clear and not pedantic about it and yeah. and i think it's a decision also a lot of the contexts you're writing about are about stopping the spread of right. covid19 and that's accurate because we're trying right. to stop the spread of the disease that's right. caused by the virus not just the virus it's it's it all goes together right i totally get it that if you are working at the cdc or you're, you're a scientist and you're working on this the difference between the virus and the disease the virus gives you is incredibly important. Fundam you know, it's totally different people working on totally different things, right? There's different people studying the virus than the type of people who are working on how to manage the actual disease. Totally get it. I get it. But from my perspective and the the level that I'm writing about it, I just need a name. And I, my shift was mainly I think I was thrown off a little bit because I tend to defer to the New York Times. I, I, I'm an avid reader of the Times, and I know that they're pedantic about such things. And they're still, even to this day, pretty – not that they never mention COVID-19, but they're pretty much all in on coronavirus. Yeah. But my shift last week toward COVID-19 was that I knew all along what you said, that coronavirus is a generic term and that the SARS from a couple years ago was a coronavirus and that there will be more, there will be future coronaviruses, sure. you know, it's, I, hopefully not for a long time, but it's inevitable. You know, they're, they're, it's going to happen again. Um, my shift last week was that I was always a little uncomfortable just using coronavirus because I knew it was a generic term, but I also felt comfortable with it because that's what the Times seemed to be doing, and it's what I knew everybody who was reading Daring Fireball would know exactly what I was talking about. My discomfort with using the generic term I reached a point last week where I was like, if I start using COVID-19 instead, everybody is – I'm not going to lose one yeah. single – Reader, there. It, it, although somebody told me, I swear to God, this is a true story. I forget who told me this. Somebody told me that they had like a, a a relative who had been like planning this for like over well over a year, and that he and his wife, their dream was to go on a like a month long vacation, um, into complete isolation, no phones, just like, and they're like outdoors type people camping. And just tune out of the world. <laughs> and the guy is a a big basketball fan, and he's like, I, he's, you know, he's like, Kobe Bryant's dead, and it's like, oh no, is that why everybody's, you know, they know that's not why everybody's upset anymore. 
sit down. <laughs> can you, I mean, can you even imagine? It's, just, it's crazy. But anyway, I felt like last week we easily crashed crossed the threshold where COVID-19 was at least as well known as coronavirus. And I've, I've shifted to using it. And oh, I'm reluctant to, I'm going with the all caps because I don't, I don't feel like lower casing it is appropriate. Yeah. Well, they're, they're... <laughs> I, I, I agree with your choices, but I, I think this also is a little window into when people, a lot of t- times people send in corrections and things and they think that decisions are made carelessly and a lot of times you don't you know we don't talk about the care but we we think about it like we we are concerned about how we're being uh interpreted and sometimes it does come down to am i going to confuse people because like if i if i have to be if i'm right but then i have to explain all the reasons why i'm right sometimes the decision is i'm not going to be that right i'm going to vague it up a little bit so that everybody still understands it and i don't have to stop and explain myself because it starts to get a little showy sometimes where you're showing off like i'm going to use this very particular term that nobody knows and then explain it and it's like it's better to use the term everybody knows just do that if your goal is not to show off but to communicate all right so back to the apple at least uh ramifications at, at a high level of this we've covered internally apple is really culturally and policy wise not really set up for remote work on a lot of new stuff um but you know the, the got you know got to do what you got to do i mean this isn't even i don't even think there's a debate at this point you know you got to work from home and we'll make they'll make the best of it um wwdc covered um i guess i went out of chronological order the other thing is were reports you know earlier earlier this month that Apple had been planning a late March press event of some sort to announce new products. And we all know stuff that's been rumored. There were, there have been longstanding rumors of um, some sort of successor to the iPhone SE, which I really don't think is going to be called the iPhone SE two, but more or less an iPhone, what we know is the iPhone eight, Hardware-wise, aesthetic-wise, updated with the internals from probably an iPhone 11 in terms of the yeah. A-series chip. Um, uh, I Maybe new iPad Pros, which are like 18 months old, or who knows what else. Uh, there could be new MacBooks. There could be, you know, there's a bunch of products they have that wouldn't be worthy of a major flagship event, but would certainly have been in a normal in normal times worthy of some sort of event and as i pointed out on this show i think with federico but you know apple's a company of patterns and they have a you know obviously we know they have the annual pattern of wwdc in june and new iphones in september but they have a biannual pattern in recent years of having an event in late march where in the last mm-hmm. few years, in the even-numbered years, they've had events in late March, and in the odd ones, they haven't. And I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, I think that's part of the cycle for some of these products, yeah. which don't have an annual schedule. Um, yeah, the iPad feels like it's an 18-month cycle, right? So that right. would be in the spring right. every other year and in the fall every other year. Yeah, and, you know, there were reports, I don't know, a week, or two, a week and a half ago or something like that. A couple of – it leaked to a couple of uh, outlets. Um you know, that Apple had been planning it, was going to cancel it because even then the writing was on the wall. Even when things were still, you know, even then in the long ago 
times of 10 days ago seemed pretty clear there was not it was not practical or even just advisable even if things hadn't gotten worse in the last 10 days even then it just seemed totally ill advisable to to gather people in you know in a room together and and you know just imagine the 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 PR risks of oh my god you know apple had these people come out to an event and uh, three of them got the coronavirus or something like that. You know, nobody's going to take a risk like that. It's it was crazy. But then, what does Apple do if they have these products ready to go, but they can't hold an event? Yeah, exactly. And and the thing, Mike Hurley and I were talking about this earlier today. Um, supply chains. It, it, right. A supply chain is not exactly a conveyor belt, but it's kind of a conve- conveyor belt, right? Like at some point before the product gets announced especially if it's going to ship like that Friday, (laughs) Um, they stop making the old product and they start making the new product. And you can't just not like, unless you're willing to have your old product go out of stores and go out of uh, of being able to, I mean, the stores are closed, but buy it online. At some point you got to flip the switch. And so this is the debate also about like, would you announce a new Apple product now when all this else is going on? And the answer is I wouldn't launch a brand new platform that I want the world's attention on. But if I want to, if I want to do an iPhone SE or I want to, I want to do a minor laptop update or whatever it is, like, sure. Why not? Uh, yeah. Plus, plus, I've run out of laptops or I've run out of iPhones to sell in the in that category right. because I stopped making them so I can make the new ones. So right. sometimes it's it's out of your hand where it, out of your hands where it's really like no, now we need to we we need to go ahead and do this. We 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 made them. <laughs> They're in boxes. We yeah. we've started to ship them over here. We need to actually start selling them. Yeah, and it's you know as much as day to day life. In, in, in the flesh has changed dramatically for so many of us and so many more to come. And just in terms of doing what's right and, or even what's mandated by our local governments, getting stuff delivered is still that, that, that is actually the alternative, right? Yeah. That's, this is what, <laughs> this is how well, we're eating. And so like, if let's just say, I mean, I think that, that the most likely of all of these is this iPhone SE2, this new lower cost iPhone. Apple can do that. It's never, you know, it's not a spectacular new product. The iPhone no. SE wasn't. It is, it is a a spot in the um, product lineup and a very important one because it's the one that an awful lot of uh, tens and tens, probably I don't know, tens of millions of people want. Which is, uh, I want one that's a lower price, and for a lot of other people, I want one that's familiar. You know, the fact that it's uh, a you know uses the same home button and fingerprint sensor as the one that they, you know, the iPhone six, they might be replacing. Uh, that is a boon to an awful lot of people. You know, I mentioned my mom before yeah. my mom definitely wants one. I told her about it. I said, I think this is coming. You know, I, you know, I, I always tell you, I don't, you know, my mom doesn't believe me. Mom thinks that I know everything, you know, <laughs> for sure. And I just won't tell her. And I'm like, I'm telling you, Apple doesn't tell me stuff like this, but I know how to read these rumors. And I'm telling you, I think this is what comes. And, you know, I forget. I think she has a six, either a six or a success, but she does need a new phone. Um, she's like, well, that's the one I want. I don't, I don't, you know, she just, she just doesn't want to switch to the new thing where there's no button, you know, that's a big deal, yeah. but they can just do that. And, you know, all of a sudden, if you want a 500 ish dollar iPhone, you get this one, which has new internals, which have years and years ahead of them in OS support and better battery efficiency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, well, if you're if you're a um, like 
uh, Dan Morin, who I work with on Six Colors. Like, Dan has an old MacBook Air that is, yes. is has, has serious battery problems and has given up the ghost. And, like, yeah, now he's... And so many people now are, are in are at home and they've got yeah. a laptop and this is what they have to do. So if Apple comes out with a new MacBook Air or you know or, or other new Mac laptops, you know I, I think some people are going to be like, oh, thank God, I, I can just order this and it'll be yeah. here in a few days. And like, yeah. yes, we're in unusual circumstances here, but it doesn't mean that people might not actually really want a new whatever or need a new whatever to do what they're doing. And in fact, these may be the perfect circumstances where they're like, like they need it more than before, more than yeah. they knew yeah. that they needed. So I'm not saying that this is the reason that Apple releases it, but I think if Apple releases new stuff like that, there are going to be people who are very happy to get it and they'll order it online and it'll get delivered to their house and, and you know, they'll be happy. And Apple doesn't, one of the reasons Apple likes to hold the big showy events isn't just for pure publicity for publicity's sake. They like to tell a story and they sure. want to tell it from their perspective Here's what it's for. Here's why we made it. Here's why it is the way that it is. You don't need to explain a, an updated iPhone 8 that has no. iPhone 11 internals. You don't need to explain a new MacBook Air that has the uh, scissor key switches from the 16-inch right. MacBook They already Pro. told that story. <laughs> right. They already told that story. And they didn't do that at an event either. They did it at right. very small press gatherings um, or gathering, I, I guess, uh you know, however you want to call it, but you yeah. know, relatively small. They brought um, us in in shifts, but yeah, it was the same day, right? So, right. Yeah, but it's even less of a story once you put that that same keyboard design into a second <laughs> model, right? Uh, yeah, there's not. I mean, we we get all caught up on it, but like Apple making a minor update to an old product to be slightly different for most of the world. Isn't that interesting a story, right? It's, right? Believe it or not, not that interesting. Even if it's a big deal for us, we're like, finally, the MacBook Air has a new keyboard, or uh, finally, there's a modern processor in that old uh, phone design. Like, right. those are big deals on in one context. But in the grand scheme of things, even without this right. pandemic happening, yeah, it's not that big a deal. It's right. a little thing. Now, if, hypothetically speaking, and I don't think this is true at all, I think this is actually incredibly unlikely from everything we've heard, um, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Apple, in fact, has a brand new AR product, some kind of goggle glasses type thing. And it, in fact, had been thinking they would announce it at the end of March, and it was going to be a big showy event, like when they first introduced the Apple Watch. Yep. And, you know, maybe it was going to be like Apple Watch, where they announced it, and they were going to say, it, we're going to ship later this year, you know, which, of course, means December or <laughs> Something like that. But they were going to have this event in March so they could show it and demo it and get everybody excited and get on top of it. Uh, yeah, they're not going to announce that with a press release. They're, if if exactly. that were had been the case, I don't think it was, but if it were, they would literally just say, well, uh, you know, back to nose to the grindstone team. Let's yep. keep working on it. But we're, we're going to, you know, hold our powder. And yes, we'll, now we'll, is not the time for that big showy announcement, right? Because you, know, you want people to pay attention and talk about that one, right? And then you know they'll go instead of late March, maybe WWDC, and maybe if WWDC isn't a big deal, maybe we'll hold it all the way till September, you know. And right. you know, in, in normal times, a company isn't going to hold a a blockbuster product announcement six months. But these are not normal times, and you know, but they would do that if it was something that was of of that magnitude, you know. I agree. I, I don't even think there's any question. I think, you know, 
but yeah no that's that's the and that's the difference right they're right. the ones where you really want the world to stand up and pay attention here's a new huge thing from apple this is right. a major initiative and then there are the product updates that are nice like a, right. a brand new imac a brand new laptop yeah. and then there are the ones that are the incremental moves forward which if you're dan and you've been waiting for that new macbook air with a new with a good keyboard all of this time it's a big deal to you but in the grand scheme of things it's a little and it's just a little thing. And again, yeah. if the fact that they wouldn't even have to talk about the keyboard, <laughs> I could just say, here it is. Go yeah. buy it. Isn't it great? It's got new processors. It's got that magic keyboard we already told you about. Awesome. Yeah. Now available. Buy it. <laughs> the magic keyboard that millions of MacBook Pro 16-inch users already love. Yeah. Yeah. You know that great keyboard we told you about? It's got that. Okay. Got to go. <laughs> they closed the retail stores last week. Well, I, I you know. At the time, what day was that? I don't even remember. Saturday? <laughs> oh, you know, and it was, so I, I know some people who work in Apple retail, and I, I was getting these these items early in the week that are like, we're going to cancel all of our our, uh, our show and tell kind of event things. We're going to remove seating uh, or remove half the seating. So we don't want to encourage people to be a crowd and we want to move them in and out. And like, that was, that was big moves on Monday. And by Friday, it was like, yeah. no, we just have to close all the stores. Uh, a couple of DF readers, you know, pointed out because that announcement came the next day after the WWDC is going to be online only, not a cancellation, but actually a cancellation or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, immediately a, a couple of readers pointed out that, hey, what about the retail stores? Isn't this ridiculous that they're, isn't it greedy that they're keeping these stores open when, you know, people are coming in and touching these devices, isn't that, you know, and in some ways the Apple stores are particularly operating as they normally do, particularly bad for this coronavirus thing, because A, the stores are usually crowded, bad. The whole point of them from a consumer retail basis is trying these devices that are either touchscreen devices or laptops with keyboards, right? I mean, you can't go into an Apple store and not see people typing on MacBooks or playing with new iPhones, right? It's it's a nightmare. Right. From, How do from you that sanitize that? Yeah. yeah. And if you take them, you can't sanitize it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take them all away, then what's the point of remaining open as a store? Right. Uh, so exactly. I think it was inevitable. Um, and you know, and they, as a as a repair interface my understanding is like people who are getting their Macs repaired are getting called to come yeah. in and get them yeah and that they they may even have some sort of method where you can um say i need to bring this in and they'll give you a time and you come and you hand it to them and then yeah. they right like they they'll they maybe do some of that but the whole other purpose of the store like it it, it doesn't make sense right now and in china they reopen them right so there's yeah. there's this feeling that maybe you get over the hump a little bit yep. and then you have a strategy maybe for what they look like post closure yeah. yeah and then you and then you do some some opening but who knows? Uh, I speculated, you know, on the support issue. Uh, hey, what what the heck's going on with the support staff, though? You know, are they all? They can't all be working together. It turns out I heard from a bunch of readers uh, that I don't know how what percentage. I guess nobody does because, like everything else at Apple, it's all secret. But a, sure. <laughs> a large a large percentage of Apple's Apple Care support technicians already have worked from home for a long mm. time. Like the Apple Care people, you you get the job. And Apple sends you an iMac or something, you know, a computer, and they hook up a, land, a dedicated landline telephone. You know, you get hardware. They set you up with uh, everything from a computer to phone 
and you work from home. And that's been the case for a while. And whether that was prescient or lucky, either way, I'm sure Apple will take it. Um, because, you know, I don't know how many thousands, uh, tens of thousands of people, you know, in the United States and other countries affected by this, obviously all of Western Europe is affected by this severely. I don't know how many thousands of people come in for tech support on a daily basis to Apple stores, but every single one of them is now online or on the phone to Apple Care. So, um, you know, the fact that that's largely work at home already, thank goodness, because if it yeah. weren't, man, that, that that's, a, that's a serious problem if people couldn't even get tech support. Right. Uh, what else is on my list here before we wrap up? Uh, I know we've gone long. Surprise. Surprise for us. <laughs> um, We're under three the, hours. Though, the last so, you know. thing I wanted to talk about, I, and this idea, I've, I've gotten this idea. I don't know if people have sent it to you. I've gotten this idea in email. I've gotten it on Twitter, but lots of people are having this idea that Apple could update Apple Watch to give rewards for staying at home. <laughs> and, you know, in terms of encouraging people to to do what every expert is saying and and stay at home as much as you can do the social you know social distancing as the president <laughs> tweeted social uh-huh. distancing that's right um and could apple watch give us awards for this to sort of make you feel good about it and tell you hey you've got a 3 day streak of not leaving the house way to go um i love the sentiment because i am totally on board with this and i totally get it and it's such a tough thing to do because let's say it works out as ideally as possible and it really does – it not only stretch, l- flattens the curve, but it actually lowers the number of people who wind up contracting COVID-19. And that this whole thing winds up a lot on, on the, the optimistic end of the ways that this might realistically turn out. You know that in that scenario, there are going to be an awful lot of shitbirds who say, well, see, it was no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> right? We know it. Everybody knows it. That is human nature. That's going to happen. If we are so fortunate enough, wouldn't that be a wonderful problem to have if the biggest problem we have at the end of this is a bunch of people saying it was all overblown? Yep. Uh, so I get it, but I don't think that's possible. A, I don't yeah. think you can add a word like that. To Apple to watch OS on on a dime, it doesn't work like that. And I don't even know if you know how does it track whether you actually left the house. Not every Apple Watch is GPS enabled. Yeah, and they're and they're all um, the code is is using like movement and distance and not not movement. So how would you how would you do that in right. terms of of I, I I do think it's a great idea. I think it would be a great idea if they had and and maybe they're thinking of these for for the future now. But like. What if it reminded you to wash your hands? What yeah. if it like like there are lots of things that that it could do, but I'm not sure using the Apple Watch reward system is something that it's just capable of of yeah. doing. And how would it be measured? And it's not it, it's a great idea that I that I, I'm with you. I don't think it's technically feasible, but I think it's a fun idea because what you really want to do is give people incentives yeah. to have good behavior because that's what the Apple Watch is all about is yeah. giving people incentives to exercise. So this yeah. would be similar. I just don't think it's practical. Yeah, and washing your hands is a great example of that. Where again, I don't think it couldn't happen now. But in terms of thinking, hey, where might be we be with wearables in ten years? Years, uh, I, I that actually seems to me like something that could be detected, you know, with a combination of microphones and you know the accelerometer. Uh, maybe you know it, it, you know, 
in theory, that that would be great if it were possible, but it, it's just not. But I love the thinking. Yeah. Every single person uh-huh. who suggested this to me, I'm not putting you down. I'm just telling you, I don't think it's practical. It's a fan, your your heart's in the right idea. place, and it's a very cool science fictiony type idea. Um, I want the um, when I get home from being out in the world, the the you should wash your hands now. Really, yeah, that'd yeah. be a good one, right? Yeah, that actually seems you know technically possible at the moment. You know. Eventually, we'll get an Apple Watch that has its built-in hand sanitizer, but that's going to take a few years. <laughs> uh, I guess that's it. Good luck. Good luck to you. <laughs> Be you know, well. I, yeah, stay safe. Stay inside. Stay I, healthy. I, 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 I will, and I will say this. I, I, it's my hope. I know that a lot of you have been reaching out to, to you know, those of us who are on the content-producing side of things like podcasts, and you want more contact content i'm i'm with you I'm, I'm gonna do as many shows as i can i'm i'm in the house i'll be here <laughs> got my <laughs> mic uh i i want to keep you as occupied as you can get your mind on fun stuff like shortcuts and apple script and speculation about ipad multitasking the more my mind is on stuff like that the better i feel too and yeah. i i you know uh, jason i'm sure you feel the same way you know it, it's Again, I, I think I'd, I forget exactly what I wrote the other day, but it's like, boy, there's not, you feel so helpless. And it's like, I feel like do, do the little things you can, you know, in terms of social distancing, washing your hands. Um, you know, and for me, what can I do? I can try to, you know, write cool stuff and do good podcasts and, you know, make everybody out there give you something to get your mind off it. There's only so much Netflix you can watch. Um, yeah. And there's only so much news you should watch because you will, yeah. whether it's a website or a TV news or whatever it is, it yeah. will, it'll drive you mad because there's yeah. only one thing happening right now. And it, although it's important, I think you stare at that too long and you'll lose your mind a little bit. So um, if we can, if we can divert you, even though we talked about it a lot in this yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. but if we can, if we can divert you a little bit or have you think about it in a different way, I think, I think that's good. I think, I think you, everybody needs to keep their mind going to a bunch of different places instead of just getting focused on one thing, especially if you're housebound for, you know, uh, for the first time. Yeah. Hey, net newswire is out for iOS. Now the new version. So good. good. But in terms of, Hey, go get it. Uh, and sync ups, you know, get a bunch of feeds that don't have anything to do with the news news. And there's another, you know, it'll be better than Twitter in terms of keeping your mind off this stuff. Yep. Uh, because I trust me, none of us are going to have to do a damn thing to hear about it as much <laughs> more than we want to um anyway jason thanks for taking your time what a crazy time to, to do this hopefully uh, hopefully everything's going to work out yeah same thank you for having me um and my best wishes to you and your family and yep. to everybody out there listening uh yeah st- everybody stay safe sixcolors.com uh, up yep. upgrade on the relay fm network uh the uh, uh uh, how many podcasts? I mean, and a million, yeah, uh, the a million <laughs> podcasts at the incomparable, incomparable. Um, so yeah, yeah, we got you covered, it people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's actually, I'll, I'll mention one thing. We did a, um, we just released it publicly. It was a member benefit that uh, we did a couple of years ago, which is we we all got on a call and watched Star Wars, and we talked about it while we were watching it. And you can you can put Star Wars um, on your TV and press play on the file. On the incomparable, and uh, it's like you're sitting there with John Syracuse and Dan Morin and Kelly Gamond and a bunch of other people, and they're talking about Star Wars while you're watching it, which is pretty fun. So we put that out because same thing, right? Trying yeah. to give people some stuff that to to divert them from everything while they're trapped in their houses. And that reminds me 
I did not do my usual holiday to New Year's Star Wars spectacular with uh, the rise of uh, Skywalker. Um, our good friends at a uh, little company called Disney actually put that out on uh, home video early. And, right. Uh, you know, for the obvious reason of, hey, people people are home. They need something to watch. Here's Star Wars. Uh I'm going to get to that now sooner than later. So homework, if you've been putting off watching it, it is on iTunes. Go go rent it or watch it or whatever you have to do to to, to see it. Because um, sooner rather than later, there will be a, a Star Wars non-holiday <laughs> spectacular yeah. episode. Yeah. Of- the holiday party got moved to March this year. It's Star- fine. Star Wars coronavirus holiday spectacular. All right, Jason. Thank you very much. Thank you.